Hey, hello, hi, welcome to and are back to the Equitheory podcast. I am your host, Jill Therese, and this week's episode, I am actually interviewing someone. This will be the first interview of the podcast, and I, guys, I am so excited to be bringing you guys interviews, finally, and with Shelby on this episode, it's a bit more conversational, and in my usual style, we go all over the place and tackle a wide array of topics um, surrounding the controversial practice of stalling, and this will be the first in a series that I kind of want to talk about. Um, You know, I'll probably do some of them by myself. I might have some interviews. Who knows? But I want to do a series called Controversial Practices, and if you're listening to this, it's probably already titled that, so you know that. Um, But yeah, we've kind of just like hit all of the marks. And I want to preface this episode by saying at no point was any of our comments meant to shame or uh, make anybody feel less than or anybody feel like you're doing something wrong by your horse. If anything, if something we say strikes a chord with you, maybe consider it and think on it from a new perspective and see if you agree or disagree. And if you disagree, totally fine. Um, you keep doing what you're doing. We'll keep doing what we're doing. The goal is never to target the person, but rather the practice or the action. And I don't think that necessarily stalling your horse, even if it's 24-7, means that you're a bad person or anything like that. I think genuinely that we're all trying to do best by our horses. And I want to put that out there before we jump into this episode because um, me and Shelby both have very strong um, tendencies to... Um, advocate very loudly about welfare. And um, I think it's an important conversation to hear, even though it might be a little uncomfortable. But just know you're in a safe space. Nobody's attacking you. Um, But just maybe reevaluate if you're somebody that um, is really into stalling. So without further ado, let's get on into this episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th. Only on Hulu. 
If you're willing and able, check us out at Jet Real Podcast on your patron app or at patreon.com slash Podcast. When you become a patron of the podcast, you can ask me questions that I'll answer on the podcast, receive merch, and have access to live Q&A events, which means you get your questions answered in real time. Uh, at the higher tiers, you have the option for phone call consults with me on air or privately, as well as access to online training with me, depending on your tier. Ooh, fun. Uh, lastly, should you decide to become a patron, just know you can cancel at any time and subscribe and unsubscribe as you please. And if you can't support us through Patreon, absolutely no worries at all. Listening alone is more than enough. And I just want to say thank you to all the current and future patrons. Me and the ponies appreciate it endlessly. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking and we're going to get into the part where I talk about things you're interested in. All right, everybody. I have got Shelby Dennis on the line for those of you who may not know. Shelby, would you mind introducing yourself, telling us a bit about who you are and what you do? Hi, I'm, I live in British Columbia, Canada, and I've been riding horses since I was four years old, and I'm now 24. And for the last three or four years, I've been running my own training business called Milestone Equestrian, where I mostly work with thoroughbreds on and off the track, because I also gallop at the racetrack. And then I also specialize in young horses. And I'm very passionate about like equine well-being and how it influences their overall behavior under saddle. And that's something that I'm trying to bring into my program more and more to better the lives of horses. Awesome. I think we're both definitely on the welfare advocacy train. And so sure. pretty sure everybody that listens to this podcast is probably semi-like-minded. So, um, yeah, so I've got some questions here and we can just kind of let it flow and see what comes out of both of our faces. Um, so you've become pretty, like a pretty big advocate about uh, keeping horses in stalls and uh, advocating for turnout. So first, like, what's your general position on stalling as a practice? Um, like, the one thing that I'll say that is probably the most radical is that I do not believe that, like, horses actually need to be stalled. I know that some people How think dare you? <laughs> but I think, like, I know some horses do freak out when you put them in turnout, but it's, like, the same thing as, like, a dog with separation anxiety is something to work on behavior-wise. So I don't think horses need stalls, but I understand the convenience factor of them and, like, how they might be necessary for show horses sometimes. But I think they are vastly overused, and I think we need to move to a point where everyone just views it as unacceptable for the horse to spend more time stalled than it does outside. I and- could not agree more with you. I mean... I know, um, like, it's it's just such a weird concept that, um, you know, everybody always says, like, you wouldn't keep a dog in a cage all day. Why would you keep a horse in a 12 by 12? And I think a lot of people are starting to realize, especially with, like, COVID and the quarantine, we don't like being stuck in our houses all day, not, unable to see our friends and bored. And I think a lot of people are starting to realize the um, that's a metaphor for how the horses are kind of feeling. Oh, for sure. And I think that, like, the thing that I've noticed the most is, like, a lot of people that do stall their horses too much, they'll be the same types of people that would advocate against people getting, like, working dogs and keeping them in apartments or kenneled for too long. So there's a lot of cognitive dissonance for some people. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, I think more and more people are starting to wake up about it because Mm -hmm. initially, like, when I first started on this tear about turnout, like, several years ago now, (laughs) like, I got so much backlash all the time, and now I, I still get it, but it's less. I definitely relate to you in that regard, because uh, the positive reinforcement thing is also, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's the same thing, you know, I mean, people do things to horses, and then if you flipped it to a dog, Archie, I told you, not now, go away, <laughs> said, I need my voice to be heard, but, uh, 
like, you know, when you point out, would you do it to a dog? They're like, well, okay, but dogs are different. And that's the way that you reduce the cognitive dissonance because you can't oh, yeah. simultaneously treat an animal in an unethical manner and say that you love them and you're, they're your whole world. You would take a bullet for them and then treat them like that. It, it, oh, yeah. So the only way think, to yeah. relieve that is to say it's, you know, it's not hurting them. Yeah, and I think it, it's weird because, like, with dogs, in my opinion, it would be more justifiable to be harsh on them because they're predators. So, in theory, they would be more likely to be aggressive than horses right. would. <laughs> and I'm not saying that people should hit their dogs. Right. I'm just saying that from a logical standpoint, it makes even less sense to hit a flight animal. <laughs> exactly. Um, get super mad at them. And I, yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm with you, and... It's horses work off of two main things, food and fear. And so it's, we often obviously take the fear route in lesser forms, but that's, this is not that podcast. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, we're sidetracked. Welcome to it. I guarantee you it will continue to happen, but that's okay. Oh, for sure. Two Um, people with ADHD in one room. (laughs) (laughs) No joke. Um, Okay. So uh, secondly, let's talk about how you keep your personal horses. So with my personal horses, like, I still wish I had more room for them, and that's something I'll acknowledge, because I wish that they had, like, more space to move around to, like, different locations within a field. They're probably in, like, a one-acre dry lot, and I recently did get that field that I keep them out on, so I kind of, like, I'll bring them back and forth to the field, and I'll take them off of it to let the grass rest every now and then so they don't destroy all the grass, Mm -hmm. Um, but that field is pretty big and like it has a whole gallop trap so they can like go flying down it which oh, awesome like <laughs> i can understand why it makes people nervous because i would way rather watch my thoroughbreds galloping like that with someone on it to, on them <laughs> to make sure they're not going to make bad right. decisions but they're having so much fun so um i try to keep like i would at this point i wouldn't want to have my horses anywhere long term where their turnout is not big enough for them to run in if they can't pick up a good canter and play around it's too small in my opinion Mm -hmm. in the short term like i would keep my horses in in and outs occasionally like i've done that before when i brought milo to my trainers but it's pretty clear the change in the behavior once you take them out of a herd environment where they can run around and put them in like even if they can talk to horses over the fence if you put them in an in and out from that like it's it's a clear change in behavior that you can't ignore um so yeah my horses have like they're all out together and they have like a shelter and then i give them free choice hay and they're out on that one acre dry lot for most of the time and then now that i have that field in the summer they're going to be going there in the summer but um they would kill themselves there in the winter (laughs) because i live in a rainforest Mm -hmm. and the hill is not that steep but it's steep enough that like Percy fell and slipped and fell on his side because he was dicking around with Pogo. Yeah. Um, So when it's wet out, (laughs) like, I don't want them to do that. But, um, yeah, otherwise, like, they're outside year-round with a shelter. Like, I do not put them in stalls unless they're injured. Um, Yeah. And, I mean, I'm pretty much the same here. Um, you know, it's not my facility, but I, in recent years, I have, like, decided I literally refuse to move from here until I can get a place where I know that I will have control over her feed and her turnout and the space and who she's with and things like that. Because, like, I just – I cannot fathom going to another boarding barn. The one I was at before I moved here, she um, she had a stall and it had, like, a turnout. And I don't – I couldn't – I'm so bad at estimating, like, distance. But I think it was probably, like, I don't know, 70 meters across or something like that. 
Um, yeah. And yeah, American metric here. And the only reason <laughs> is because I can estimate because I know how big a 20 meter circle is. <laughs> That's yeah. about it. <laughs> but um, so, I mean, that was absolutely not enough. I mean, she could not take off running in the paddock she's in now. It's, it's still arguably too small, but um, she is barefoot and all of our other fields get so wet and it's evident in the horse's feet and they have to be on a tighter trim cycle and it's just it, it, uh, it's very stressful but I mean I don't know it's always she's calmed down a lot <laughs> in her yeah. recent years um since I've stopped competing and she's really mellowed out so I hardly ever see her playing around unless it's like a cooler morning but I mean I we're... find the mares are more like like they're like women they're more mature <laughs> than the boys because like... mine are all clowns yeah we don't but... need to go out and play in the dirt thank you very much yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously I would like it to be bigger and for them to, like you said, have some terrain to deal with, some different, like, places to explore rather than just, you know, a big square. Um, but it's it's also difficult because uh, we had, like, a super wet um, a summer last year, so we couldn't plant any grass. So everything is dead and just weeds, and it sucks, and it keeps raining. So, I mean, every time we try to go to plant... It rains, and to oh, no. get rid of the weeds, you have to take the horses off the paddocks and do pesticides, and that's dangerous, and we don't have enough room because we have way too many horses here, and <laughs> Arkansas is not a buyer's market. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's a mess, but um, we're doing the best we can, and I mean, that is, you know, that's all that's you really all you can, can do. do. Yeah. Because yeah. it, it does depend on region. Like, if I were to move to Alberta or, like, even further up north in B.C., my horses could be out on hundreds of acres. Mm-hmm. Um, but I live like near the city ish, like in, like I'm still out in the countryside, but I'm still close to the city. And like, I, I'm actually considering moving into the interior eventually so yeah. that they can have that. Cause <laughs> so I funny. can't get that here unless I can spend $4 million, which of course is right. not going to happen. Yeah. But it's hard because then like the work, the ability to work changes the further out you go. Cause you wouldn't have as many clients. So right. And that's where I'm. I'm thinking I'm well, a, because I have been to both Colorado and Florida in recent years. And I have learned that my skin absolutely cannot handle it because <laughs> I just break out in eczema, which is fantastic. Thank you. Immune system. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but, uh, Texas seems to be okay. And Texas has a huge, you know, horse industry. And, um, they also have a ton of land and it's all different depending on what part of Texas you're in. And so I'm also, considering moving so that I can have a place that, um, you know, is a land is cheaper and B I can actually have land. Um, because like I said, I just, I cannot imagine moving somewhere. Like if I have to move and I can't get a place, um, whether I buy it or if I rent it or board, like if I don't have control over Zoe's feed and how she is handled and her turnout and all of that, like i She'll stay here. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. if I absolutely have to move. That's, that's where I'm at, too. Like, I had someone say to me, like, when with like I was having a debate about turnout with someone that didn't agree with me. And they said, like, well, what would you do if you had to go to university across the country and your only options were to install them? And I straight up said, I was like, I wouldn't bring them. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> they I mean, would, I'm with you. stay home. And, like, worst case scenario, if I, like, for whatever reason, I don't see why this would happen, but if I could not have my horses unless they were in small paddocks and stalls, then they would all have to be sold because I agree. people who could do the right thing. But. I agree. I mean, if I was ever in a situation where I could not take care of Zoe or any of the other horses that I'm 
steadily acquiring. I moved out here with Zoe, and I am going to leave with Zoe, Amber, and Azula. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, whatever. That's I've... what happens. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. That's how my boss ended up with 50. So, yeah. oh, God. she's Goals. like, she's like, it's going to happen to you, too. And I was like, no, yeah. God. Um, but, I mean, that's, I, I've told her, I was like, if I can't do it, she's yours. <laughs> and she was like, you know, I'd take her. So, I mean. I also have that backup plan because I would never subject her to living in a stall 24-7 all over again. Like, I mean, I just mm. – but we're getting ahead of ourselves because I have questions about that. Okay. <laughs> so um, can you talk a bit about what you used to believe and what made you change your mind to what you believe now? It's been a journey because, like, when I showed Arabs, <laughs> it was very, very normal to have the horses stalled most of the day. Oh, so my God. Yeah. At the last there, barn that I was at, it was an Arab barn. Those horses oh, yeah. were in 24-7 <laughs> yeah. all day long. Oh, it's bad. And they would get turned out, like, maybe once a week into the arena. Lunatics, and they'd be like, oh, they don't like it. They're scared. It's Ugh. like, no, he's going crazy, Karen. He's losing he's, his shit. Has he has never been able to run around. And that's why you have yeah. to have a shank that is longer than my shin bone <laughs> to ride it yeah yeah so my like arab barn so i the first barn that i was at for arabs it had more turnout than the one i moved to after like they had some fields but they only really used them for the brood mares and then the rest is probably small maybe 20 by 20 or 30 by 30 sand paddocks so very small mm-hmm. and then stalls so they would go out in the paddock that's minimally bigger than the stall for like I don't know, six, seven hours a day, and then they'd go back inside. And then I moved to another barn. Same thing, small paddocks. Some of them were, like, only 15 by 15, and then the stalls were either 10 by 10 or 12 by 12, depending on how lucky you were. (laughs) And they even did something where they were, like, where a lot of people thought their horses didn't like the rain. And, like, the important thing for this is that I live in a rainforest. It rains, honestly, 80% of the year here. So... There's people there that had their horses on no rain turnout, and my trainer recommended it. So initially, my era was on no rain turnout, mm-hmm. and then I started to kind of feel bad for him because he was always inside. And then I started to say, "Put him out in the rain," and they tried to tell me that he didn't like it. And I was like, "You know, I don't really care if he has to stand out in the rain and kind of sulk until he realizes it's not that bad to get wet. Yeah. But he needs a change of pace. Like he needs more stimulation." Mm-hmm. And they were, yeah, they would probably go out around, like, 8 or 9, and then they'd be in by, like, 4 um, if they did go out. And there also weren't enough paddocks for all the horses at the property, so they had to yeah, rotate. That's how the that's how the last barn was, and some horses only got to get out maybe once a week, and that it sucked. And to your point about rain, it's so funny because Zoe, like, you can look at her out in the pasture, and if it starts uh, getting dark or drizzling, she pins her ears and bolts to her shelter. She is a priss pot about rain, but she has the option. If she would like to stand out in the rain, she can. And if she would not, she also has a nice, cozy shelter. And, um, I mean, that's what – I mean, I think – at least if you have your horse out on turnout, they definitely need shelter. The thing that makes yeah. me the most sad is when horses, like, I mean, you always see those backyard farms, like, where somebody's just got, like, a, like a, I don't know, basically a dog pen in their backyard that's got a horse, and there's oh, yeah. no shelter. No friends, no nothing, and you're like, oh, my God, that horse is going to kill basics. itself. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, shelter's a must, and, like, that's the thing that I don't get with people who say their horses don't like being outside, because you could essentially make a stall, like, exactly. shelter, and then they could have the choice, and that's why in and out paddocks work so well for, like, mm-hmm. horses in cities, 
is because like even though they're small at least if they get stressed in the stall they can walk outside and it's not much but it's better than nothing well and i think i think i I mean i don't know you would know more about this than i would but i think if there were to be a study done where horses that had been stalled all their lives and if you were to put them in a stall that had the option to go outside i think you would see the horses most likely especially like if it was decent weather spending way more time outside Oh, absolutely. Like, I think what would happen initially is if they're really used to being stalled, they'd start out creeping out slowly Mm -hmm. and then coming back. And eventually they'd extend their horizons to use the whole field. And that's the thing. Like, I've said that to people before that are like, my horse doesn't like being outside. They love their stall. And I'm like, open the door and see what happens. Like, leave the door open. Right. I doubt they're going to stay in the stall. It's the the same thing. (laughs) Like, if if you were raised in your house for all your life, like, freaking Rapunzel. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen Tangled, but she's like, I would like to be outside of this tower but i mean you don't know what's gonna happen but steadily you go further and further i didn't mean to make a point with a disney princess jesus christ (laughs) but i mean you you would be like i'm going stir crazy i would like to see what's out there and it would be scary at first but then you would realize all the awesome things that are out there and the freedom and the ability to move yeah i think that's the biggest thing is that people aren't patient enough to let them settle in and like the one thing people need to consider is that a horse going like most stalls that I see don't even have bars between them. So we're talking fully boarded walls mm-hmm. with bars only at the front. And the horse is going from that to suddenly being in a wide open space where there's likely other animals and lots of new things. Like the level of stress that would, even for a person, if you lived in a padded room your whole life, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they threw you out into like a busy like park, park-like surroundings with lots of other people around they'd probably have a panic attack too. And that's with us having the ability, the ability to rationalize. And you could exactly. even have like someone tell you, Hey, this is going to be way different. It's going to be wide open space, but you'd still get the panic response. And it's like seen in abuse victims and children that haven't mm-hmm. been cared for properly, where they'll have certain behaviors that are from like dealing with trauma, essentially. And I think that's the horses. They're kind of trauma victims. And right. And if they are that. never socialized either, like, I mean, it's just like a dog. If you never socialize it, it's going to come out with problems. And that may lead you to believe that your animal does not like being outside or being with other horses. They can't get along with other horses, but it's likely due to the fact that they've never had to experience it before. Oh, and for sure. frightening. Like, even stallions can go out in herds, and that's something that a lot of people do not realize, is that, like, stallion, the horse being a stallion isn't a reason to isolate them. Like, you need to be careful with their turnout, and you mm-hmm. need to not probably paddock them next to mares. But they can still go out with friends, and, like, that's one of the things with Banksy that I found weird, because everyone is so worried about him being steady and, like, wondering why I haven't chopped his nuts off yet. But, yeah, like, how tall is he going to be, by the way? <laughs> he's, like, 14, 3, 15 pounds. Like, yeah. he's big. But, like, he, he's out with other geldings that put him in his place. And he's not, like, he doesn't even know what girls are right now. Right. So fine, well, and that's but... the difference. We have two studs here right now. One is not ours and one is ours. And the one is, like, in his 20s that's ours. And he has never been out with another horse before. Uh-huh. And the times that he has been, like, uh, I wasn't here for it, but it, allegedly it was quite the bloodbath. And it was gelding oh, no. versus stud. There was no mare involved, but... I mean, he just doesn't know how to interact with other horses. and Yeah, I think that's why it needs to ha- happen early, in, yeah. especially for stallions, early mm-hmm. in life. Yeah, I mean, if yeah. you were to keep Banksy as a stud, he would probably be fine to be out with all your guys for the rest of his life. But, yeah. I mean, it's I feel like it, it sucks. But, but, I mean, they're both in paddocks, and they're next to yeah. other horses, but they just can't touch them, which absolutely breaks my heart because that is not how horses are designed to live and i mean it would be like us i mean if you could never 
talk to another human. You could just see them. Like, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's like seeing someone through a glass, like, soundproof window. Yeah, and... It can't get through. Yeah, but, uh, it's... It's sad. So, anyway, it got you off track a little bit. So, <laughs> a bit about what you used to believe and what made you change your mind to now. That's where So, we the were. biggest change, I would say, like, this is before I even, like, was starting to look up studies, but mm-hmm. I eventually got pretty burnt out showing the Arab circuit, and I moved my horse away from a show barn to, like... Just a kind of backyard boarding barn that had, it was on like, I think it's on like 40 acres. So it had like big turnout fields. And then when the horses did come inside for dinner, they always had in and out paddocks, but they'd be out in the field all day. And my Arab went from being something that like he, every day when you would ride him, he would spook at the same end of the arena and he was a bolter as well. So every now and then he just bolt on people. He went from being like that to being like completely beginner safe, not spooking at anything like really really easy to work with and ride um so it was such a stark change in behavior that like you can't ignore that you know and the only variable that had really changed drastically was that he was actually going outside right and it's kind of like how people say like uh you know ottbs are insane because they're they're all hyped up and they live in stalls but those horses see more than most horses do in their entire life (laughs) at the track and so they get habituated to all of the excitement going on and when your horse is outside he gets used to noises and cars and people and stuff whereas in the stall he's you know very safe and everything is protect yeah sheltered exactly yeah. And, um, so. Well, and the thing with racehorses too is that in the off season, like this is why, like I don't agree that racetracks shouldn't have like at least in and out paddocks. Yeah, I so wish they did, but it's my my thing with the racing industry is that most of the trainers I know, all of their horses go out on large turnouts for the whole off season, mm-hmm. whereas like a show horse doesn't generally get that. Like if the owner is keeping them stalled or a small paddock, they usually do it year round because they're too worried about them getting injured. So yeah. they don't get the same level of freedom even. And then their careers also span way longer. Right. So they have to deal with it for years and years. Right. Especially at like the upper level dressage and uh, show jumper barns. They, you know, I, for some reason, I think eventers tend to be <laughs> like, ah, it's fine. Leave it outside. <laughs> but yeah. um, there are some that leave them in stalls. But I think mostly um, the jumpers and hunters and uh, dressage those those ones tend to be more um you know keep them safe don't let them get hurt or dirty and um i mean obviously not everyone but they yeah. they have long lasting careers like you said and it's not just the couple of years that they're good for racing and they often live their entire lives in stalls and uh, i mean it sucks for the thoroughbreds at the track because i mean like here uh we have the big track oaklawn and um it's it's like they just have a bunch of barns with a bunch of stalls and that i mean like like you said i really wish that they had turnouts too but it's you know money land issues but at the same time at least those horses are getting out every day and getting exercised for you know an hour (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's something and they hand walk them a fair amount yeah. too i don't know like it, it's something that i would like to see change but like the situation like the, the thing the difference i guess is that a show jumper could find a barn that they could turn their horse out at right. whereas the racetracks here like none of them have turnout right and i mean so, our our trainers do the same thing that you're talking about like they're all turned out in the off season and they all have space and get to be horses but it's i just i i wish we could work on that but i mean it's it's a money thing and it, like you said you have an option when it you just have one horse versus 50 but yeah um so i guess we can move on to 
um, I have a list, <laughs> but I would like um, for you to mention some of the problems that you see with stalling, like some of the, you know, issues that come with it for the horses. So there's lots. <laughs> so the biggest thing would be is that if you were to walk through a barn of stalled horses, there is going to be a very high percentage of horses with vices. Right. Um, and this goes for any barn. It doesn't matter what barn you walk through. It's all of them. If the horses are stalled most of the time, they're going to have way more vices than any bars. And these can be like weaving or cribbing, um, stall walking, wood chewing, like just pinning their ears at people, trying to bite them when they walk by, showing aggression to other horses when they walk by, pawing at the door, um, rearing up over the stall walls, like mm-hmm. all of those things. You'll see the occurrence of those things way more in barns that do not have adequate turnout than you will in turned out barns. And that even goes like we do have horses at my farm that crib even though we got good turnout here but they arrived here as cribbers they didn't become cribbers in our care um and like the biggest thing that i noticed like with that kind like i read a bunch of studies on it and it's like a proven thing through study that stalled horses have more vices and stall vices do not exist in the wild it's something that we've created from stressing out horses too much that makes perfect sense and i mean it would stand to reason that there's also a a high if not near total percentage of those horses probably have ulcers and i mean like i think it's 75 percent of all competition horses have ulcers (laughs) yeah unless they're being preventatively treated and that's like what i've noticed is like the trainer that i've worked for the most at the track she has her own farm so what she would do is after races she brings horses home and puts them out and they get to go out in paddocks and just kind of decompress at the farm Mm -hmm. and her barn like i have never seen any of her horses crib if she's had them since they were young if they started out their racing career with her they do not have stall vices Mm -hmm. the ones who do are all the ones that arrived after yeah they they still have to get stalled at the track and they're still in their stalls longer than other horses and honestly like it's it's more stalling than i would personally want for like horses but it's a very stark difference if you compare her barn to barns that do not do the same thing right um and yeah, I've noticed it like, yeah, walking around other barns, there's like the stall walking problems. And then under saddle, these horses tend to have more problems. They'll be pissier, they'll buck more, they'll rear more, they'll be more hot and high strung. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're more liable. Like if you pull a horse out of a stall, even on like a lunging day, they're more liable to blast around like an idiot and be super, super high strung when they come out because they have to burn all of their energy at once. And I would compare it to like, um, Marsh, like my friend that I met on Tumblr many years ago, she's a behaviorist. And mm-hmm. I asked her what the zoomies were for dogs. And she said that it's like, it's called like frap. She called it frapping. It's like fr- phonetic um, something play, something, something right. play. And it's basically they, they burn all, a ton of energy all at once when they've had too much pent up energy or something excites them and they have too much energy and it needs to get out. And I think that the horses coming out of stalls are like that. And that's where we um, get the... Uh... My horse doesn't like to be out of stall. He absolutely loses his mind. He's so scared. <laughs> like, yeah. And they're not, I don't know if they're necessarily always scared, but they have to run because they get no other chance. To. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying that that's the justification for trying to keep them yeah. inside. Oh, it's silly. And it's so silly. I agree. And I mean, that's like, you know, when I was at the, the Arabian barn that I mentioned, when Zoe had a really small turnout coming from, you know, she lived here on the farm that I'm at for her whole life and then she moved to live at a really big farm and then to move to another really big farm and then move to this teeny tiny itty bitty little paddock and yeah. uh i don't know if you remember or if my 
followers on the podcast know um, she got um, when she had colic surgery two years ago. Um, it's because she got cast in her stall. And I mean, who knows if she colicked because she got cast or if she got cast because she was colicking. But I mean, that's a huge issue. Horses don't get cast in the wild. And, um, I think she probably colicked because a, we were feeding her shitty, 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 shitty food. And, um, I had no idea about nutrition at the time and I'm like flabbergasted by that. But also, um, there's no doubt she had ulcers. We weren't treating her for it because everybody, you know, everybody I rode under was like, oh, she's just super hot. And I was like, okay, (laughs) sounds good. Um, and uh, you know, she had ulcers and it was absolutely insane. When I moved her out here, um, she weaved and bobbed and, um, would just, I mean, she just did all those things that, you know, you see like the TikTok videos of, and you're like, Oh my God, my horse is so silly. Look at how he's dancing the music. And it was so annoying to me. It shows, um, you know, cause I'd hang a stall guard up so she could see out. Cause I mean, they're often those boarded up stalls and, um, she, she would just bob and weave. And when I would come back, people would be standing there like nodding at her being like, yeah, yes, you're so pretty. Yes. And I was like, please go away. (laughs) Yes. I was like, please stop. (laughs) And when I moved out here, I, you know, I kind of knew that, but I still kind of thought it was funny. And it, um, it was interesting because she was only on turnout. Like in the winter, she would go out, um, at, during the daytime and in at night and then the reverse in the summer. But, Right before she got brought in, she would weave, like, uncontrollably and just, like, I mean, she would just stand at the gate an hour before she was supposed to get fed, and she would just put her head over the fence and weave back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And at shows, she would, um, like, I, there's a video in one of my Texas Rose vlogs where she is standing in the corner of her stall, like, bumping her nose against the wall, like like an insane oh, asylum wow. patient. And I was like, oh, we've lost her. Like, she's acting crazy. But I didn't think anything of it. And, I mean, and it's so fascinating to me that she was still outside when um, she was weaving. But she knew she was about to come in and it was making her anxious. And now that she's outside 24-7 and still, I mean, she gets fed at the same time. But she doesn't weave before she gets fed anymore unless the dude that feeds is late or whatever. But, um, then she gets a little anxious, but, um, for the most part, she has completely stopped weaving because she's outside and she's not anticipating needing to be brought in and it doesn't make her anxious anymore. And, um, and weaving, like, I don't know if most people know it's like really, really bad for their joints and legs and, and, uh, like they'll don't see anything. Like you could walk beside them and they weave into you. Like they're yeah. really bad weavers, but it's bad. Yeah. And Zoe was like that. I mean, you could walk up to her and she would just knock into you and she'd flip her head and stick her tongue out of the side of her mouth and do like a jaw stretch. And it was just like, and I just thought it was funny. Because <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's what you get like, taught. People compare it to dancing, and it's because it's we're so poorly educated on on horses from a behavioral and like physiological 100%. perspective. Like with like with the colic thing, that's one thing that I forgot to mention for your question mm-hmm. is colic's the number one killer of horses outside from old age. So they're they're most likely to if they're gonna die early, it's most likely to be because of colic, and the rate of colic absolutely skyrockets with like however long they're in a stall it goes up um and 
So like we so we know this. This is, they found this in studies too, and like the reason for that is because they don't have the same range of motion to kind of walk around and graze, and right. they're also stressed, so they're more likely to have problems from being stressed. And like colic is one of those huge risk factors. So for people, like a lot of people say that they don't want their horse to get hurt in a turnout, but they're more likely to have to, to die early from colic than anything else. Yeah, well, and, and not only that, but like you don't want your horse to get hurt in ter- turnout. But if your horse isn't like spends most of his day not using his body, he's going to become fragile. And oh, yeah. you don't like I mean, you know, every conditioning book I've ever read is like maybe for like 20 minutes once a week, you know, take your horse for a jog down concrete because it helps firm up their bones. I don't know if there's any evidence to that because I have not fact checked that. But I mean, like, to some degree, you need a little bit of impact training to help the body adapt and, you know, tear those muscles and then rebuild and make it stronger, blah, blah, blah. And when they're in a stall all the time, they can't do that. And that's why I think you get a lot of upper level horses in, um, you know, when, uh, when they're stalled that they end up with a lot of soft tissue injuries. Oh, yeah. I think that, too, could be related to the reduced circulation from standing around. Like, I'm not a doctor, but I would assume if they're not properly circulating their blood in the same way they could if they're moving around all the time, then the tendons would be more susceptible to injury. Yeah. Um, And, I mean, and also, like... Um, as far as body functioning goes, like a lot of people avoid turning horses out when it's cold because they think they'll be warmer in the barn. And that entirely depends on if you have a heating unit in your barn, if you don't, and it's not insulated. Like we had, um, like at the Salem, the barn I was at for the longest, it was like, um, concrete bricks. And I had Zoe inside, you know, during the winter and I was like, oh, it's warmer. Uh, It's definitely not warmer in there, not significantly anyway. And when horses are able to move around and have space in like a paddock, they actually stay warmer because of their body heat. Well, the funny thing about that is that like, like biologically horses cope way better with like the cold than they do the heat. So it's kind of, it's a funny thing that people fixate on because they're more likely to have problems from going and showing on a hot summer day than they are from being turned out in the winter right like, and I live in which Canada, one are you more likely so to like, do <laughs> <laughs> like people have their horses out in alberta in like minus 40 um and like a which lot is ridiculous to me it. by the way just throwing that out there i that doesn't compute with my brain because <laughs> yeah. i mean in no, your... i would die there too because it's not that it does not get that cold here but no it yeah. uh the coldest it gets here i could not tell you what it is in celsius but in fahrenheit it is like maybe 19 sometimes we hit that <laughs> and yeah. and i mean it's below freezing but it's still not as cold as it could be and everybody's like southerners don't know what cold is <laughs> i'm like yeah and that's the thing i mean with the horses too we think that their bodies operate the same way ours do so if you walk outside and you're cold you're like oh my horse needs a blankie and he needs to be brought inside and it's like they have a layer of like they have a coat <laughs> also they're not designed for that they are outdoor animals they are designed to be outside so they're not going to be the same temperature you are and um it's not a very good basis for <laughs> whether or not uh you know the horse should be outside if it would be better off um but i'm trying to think some other issues that i have listed here are um not access to constant forage inside i mean like i know our horses that are um, stalled here because we don't have enough hay because, I mean, like I said, um, uh, the winter – or I'm like, oh, my God. What's – what's oh, my God, I'm having a stroke. What <laughs> season? Um, 
when it rained in the summer, we did not get good grass growth. So, like, there's a hay shortage. Last year, we had to, like, import from Arizona and New Mexico because there was no hay. And um, so our horses that are inside, they get, you know, two flakes and one of alfalfa. And it's like, yeah. that's not enough for being inside all day. And, I mean, like, um, we have uh, one mare in full in right now because um, Sterling, our little Appaloosa colt, is, uh, his skin is pink. Like, cool. And I mentioned that at one point and everyone was like, just put a fly mask on him and sunscreen on his nose. And I was like, I don't think you understand. His entire body yeah, is pink. Body. <laughs> and um, so he doesn't have black skin like normal horses. And so he will sunburn everywhere. And it is, it's too bloody hot here. And um, so they're inside during the day and they go out with, at night. And then um, our nurse mare, Irish, for Astro, uh, she's in during the day because she stopped sweating. So <laughs> we're like, oh, okay, man. can't kill the nurse mare. <laughs> she has to, Astro's already lost one mom. Let's not lose oh, two. No. And um, then we have the last one, Flit, is inside um, because of another point that I have later that there's this idea of, you know, the special horses are the ones that get to stay inside. And I was definitely like that at one point. And then I sort of thought about it and I was like, okay, so why – does Zoe get to stay inside, but no, no other horses get to stay inside. No other horses get blanketed. And like, what makes her different? Like, is she more fragile than anybody else? Or am I just being a helicopter mom? (laughs) And, um, it almost feels like, um, you're less than, or you're poorer if you can't afford to have your horse in a stall. And they view it as like, kind of like redneck i've found yeah people assume that you can't ride or show well if you care for your horse in the way that's better for them (laughs) i know and i don't know what that i mean like it's uh, it's uh, comparable to the positive reinforcement thing it's like oh you're a pansy tree hugger oh you consider the horse's emotions lol like you you... (laughs) (laughs) yeah like make fun of you for caring for your horse and you're like how is that working in your brain up there (laughs) like i don't don't get it but um so some other things that i have on the list are like like you said circulation issues with stocking up um then defecating in their water buckets um they're stuck laying in their shit if they want to lay down at night uh whereas outdoors they typically choose a good spot i mean how many times have you watched a horse lay down they're very picky um yeah some of them obviously wouldn't care like the mud yeah yeah um but at least outside they have a choice and um, I also have um, respiratory issues from ammonia and dust inhalation. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about that because, like I told you before yeah. in my recording, I did not read the studies that I was supposed to on that. Well, and I think even, like, I'm pretty sure barn workers are more likely to have respiratory issues than anyone else because, like, hay dust is so bad to inhale. Like, I inhale it all the time because my mm-hmm. horses eat, like, a really leafy alfalfa. And, like, if I sneeze after, I literally sneeze up, like, alfalfa. <laughs> oh, um, I know. Every time I then, do stalls, yeah, I sneeze. Yeah, even worse. And even, like, most barns do not clean the stalls more than twice a day. And so if you consider that, like, horses pee a lot because they drink a lot of water. So... They're probably standing, like, at least for eight hours straight, inhaling, like, their pee and, like, mm-hmm. their poo particles and dust. Well, and that's and another thing, webs. too. Some yeah. horses won't pee in a stall. And some horses won't use the bathroom at all in a stall. Flit, um, the Frisian sport horse that we have, um, when he's in a stall, he maybe poops once or twice. And uh, sometimes he doesn't pee. I mean, like, and it's fantastic from a cleaning perspective. 
um, but not probably for his kidney function. <laughs> Oh, yeah, definitely. And you're probably uncomfortable for him, too. That's sad. Yeah, and I mean, I, you know, I pick my battles. <laughs> but um, he's he's special, so he stays inside. And um, I mean, and I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, say anything bad about my boss. I love her endlessly. And I know that she, in her heart, she is trying to do the best thing for her horse. And that is something that I have not touched with her yet. <laughs> yeah. But um, I mean, it's, I don't know. I, I, she knows that I have differing opinions and she does, um, on a lot of things, but I, I just couldn't imagine. Cause I mean, when you clean stalls and you're like, Oh my God, it is like ripe in here. And, uh, I mean, like you said, nobody really stands around waiting for the horses to defecate or pee. And they, I mean, so they're standing with it all day long. Um, yeah. and so it's, and I mean, like you said, I sneeze the whole time I'm cleaning stalls. And I'm allergic to hay and grass, so it's not great for me in there either. But, um, yeah. I yeah, think... and it's weird because with horse trailers, it's kind of like a known thing that you got to clean out your horse trailer because the ventilation is not good in there. And they'll be inhaling, like, their poo and pee. Mm-hmm. But, like, a stall is essentially the exact same thing as a horse trailer. Yeah. And it's so funny how many different, <laughs> like, the cognitive dissonances there are with that. But, um Okay, so next question. Are there any circumstances wherein you would be okay with stalling your horse? If they're injured, like, like it's kind of like the lesser of two evils. If your horse has a tendon injury and the only way they can heal it is by being mm-hmm. kept still, then that would be where I would stall it. But I would handle it a little differently than people who stall their horses all the time because if the horse was getting really anxious and keyed up, I would probably give them a long-acting tranquilizer. Like, there's one yeah. that lasts for, like, 30 days. And I would do it for, like, for the duration of the stall rest period or at least, like, a few months into it once they start getting really antsy. Yeah. Um, That's actually really interesting. that way. But other than that, like, I don't think there's any reason for horses to be, like, stalled for basically the whole day unless they're injured. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, and it's funny because I also have hoof, hoof health written down here. And, um, you know, our farriers um, or our farrier, um, we have horses, a few of them that have like really problematic feet for whatever reason. They're on the same food that everybody else is and everybody else is fine. But for some reason, there's like these select few that their bodies are just not making enough of whatever they need. And that is my next project is diving into nutrition and finding out how to fix all of that, um, you know whatever yeah but um our farriers are always like you know you need to bring them in at least once a day so their feet can dry out if it's super wet outside and um but it's also interesting because i've been listening to the humble hoof podcast and um somebody on there i forget which person uh alicia was interviewing but uh they were like you know it's when horses have like really bad hoof issues keeping them inside sometimes is not always the best scenario or like the best thing you can do um like when their hooves are healing from an injury or something sometimes being outside is actually better for them because you're keeping that circulation going and if you build a hoof based on a very fragile and safe environment you don't really get um something that can handle the real world you know and that makes sense yeah yeah and so i mean I could not give that in technical terms or explain under which circumstances, which particular injuries that would be, you know, the best route, but it's something to consider and like talk to your vet and carrier about. Yeah. And with the hoof thing too, I would say like in the long run, 
the way to handle that that would be the best for the horse i think is really considering putting in a lot of money to get like good drainage and right. good footing or building like a larger shelter and then putting their hay in the shelter where it's dry mm-hmm. and then they can stand in there for more of the day i don't know because like here like it's it's hard because it rains all the time so we do get a lot of mud um but since it's a rainforest like people literally couldn't turn their horses out for most of the time if they were trying to avoid it so i think like yeah. Like, obviously, those things are expensive, so it's easier said than done. Right. But that would be the long-term goal, I think, that should be for everyone if that's one of the problems that they run into. Right. Well, and, and I mean, like, yeah. if I saw <clears> – <throat> sorry, I just choked. I saw your post um, about Milo's feet and his barefoot journey, and Zoe's journey has actually been, like, almost identical because her feet were getting really bad, and then I pulled her shoes, and, I mean, I probably did not go about it in the best way because I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like, let's try barefoot. <laughs> and that's what we did. And uh, she actually, like, really was never sore. I mean, it was maybe, like, a day or two. Um, and, yeah. you know, when she walked on rock, she'd be really tender-footed. And now she just, like, is – I mean, she has, a like, a huge hoof ball now. It looks like she has a shoe on. I mean, she's yeah. grown so much hoof, and um, her heels are still a little underrun. But, like, thoroughbred, <laughs> but we're working on it. And um, so, I mean – my point in saying that is that like you live in a very wet environment and we get a lot of rain here too, but our horse's feet are still fine. So that's where I'm kind of like, it's not always the environment. I think it also like the horses that are having really like really bad problems out here. I think their bodies aren't getting enough of whatever they need to make their feet healthy. And because I mean, you know, like you said, if, if the horses had to be inside to avoid the rain, you know, they would never, but both of our horses' hooves are proving <laughs> that yeah. that's not the well, case. Well, with Milo especially, like, since his soles were so abnormally thin, like, the average horse my vet told me has, like, 15 to 20 millimeter thin soles, and his were seven. Yeah. Um. So if he can do it, I do think that a lot of horses could, but I think that people lack the patience that it requires because I did have to give him, like, three weeks to a month off. Right. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, that's not very much. So right. Well, and with Zoe, really too. Care. I mean, I wasn't riding her when I pulled her shoes, and that's pretty much why I did it. And, you know, when she would throw shoes, it would tear her feet up, and I was like, why do we even have them on? I'm not riding. And I know that, like, barefoot is not an option for everyone, and this is also not an episode on hoof health. I have one of those coming. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's – I think it, it entirely depends on the horse and the circumstance and everything. But um, yeah, for sure. Um, some other reasons that I have for being okay with stalling is um, uh, quarantine – We've had. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was just trying to like hit every bullet point because you know, <laughs> you know, I get emails <laughs> yeah. if I skipped a point. Um, and then uh, I wanted to ask your opinion about um, horses that are dealing with obesity and dry lotting and things like that. What do you think about that? Um, I don't think obesity would be a reason to stall because they would get less exercise. So I would say the solution for that would be yeah, a dry lot or get like a pretty like a really good grazing muzzle Mm -hmm. and keep it on them all the time like get one that they can drink out of and that they can wear comfortably all the time and that it really limits their intake yeah um but that is a hard one but like in the long run like i do think that like the goal like the horse isn't going to be happy long term if they're not out so i would try to use every solution possible before stalling yeah i agree um So, okay, next question. How do you feel about places that don't have a lot of land, like big cities? 
Well, my opinion on that, because I've had been asked this before, where someone is like, what if, like, you can only have a horse stall 24-7 in your area, and people aren't going to like what I'm going to say. I know, I'm kind of with you. I think that if you want a farm animal that badly, and you do not live in a place that's suitable for a farm animal, then you need to move. If you want it badly enough, you'll move to accommodate the animal, because it's not fair to the horse to have to put up with completely neglectful circumstances which would be like stalling 24 7 is neglecting their need of freedom and forage and friends all three of them (laughs) unless they get hay 24 7 but it's neglecting a pretty basic biological need for horses so in my opinion i don't think animals owe us like owe us being like upset and stressed just so we can enjoy them i think it's really selfish and there's no way around that it's selfish if if they have to keep it in the city. Like, I don't know. I lived in the suburbs and there was no horse places where I lived initially before I moved. And I would drive 40 minutes to yeah, go to the barn. Me too. Um, so I think like either move or just get comfortable with traveling to go to the barn. Yeah. And I mean, I hate to say it because I know it's going to upset a lot of people because I, I mean, a lot of the responses that I got when I asked people what they thought about, um, you know, uh, stalling horses that a lot of people were like well I live in an area where it's not an option for me to um have my horse outside so you know we're all doing the best we can and I agree to some extent and I understand but it should be a temporary situation not like you shouldn't get complacent with it um because it's just not how horses are designed to live they don't have very many basic needs in actuality, they're very simple animals. They require less yeah. care and maintenance than cats and dogs do. I mean, you can just put them in a field and feed them. <laughs> like, that's that's all you have to do. Um, but they need buddies. They need space. They need food, shelter, and water. That's it. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah, I, I think, like, the way to put it, too, is that, like, I don't think anyone would want their dog or their cat living alone in a 12 by 12 room for the rest of their life. So I don't like, I don't understand how we went so far wrong Mm -hmm. to be okay with it with horses. And, and like, I I understand like living in the city and that some people might not want to move, but at the same time, you kind of have to choose what kind of lifestyle you want to live because like the, what I compared it to for people that were asking me about this last time, was I was like, you know, like, if I lived in an apartment downtown, it doesn't matter, like, how much I want, like, a Border Collie or a Blue Heeler. It doesn't matter if they're my favorite breed. If I'm working, like, a 12-hour day and I live in an apartment, why would I get a working dog? I shouldn't get it just because I want one. And if I got it anyways, people would be more likely to shame me for something like that than they would if I stalled my horse 24-7. Yeah, and Um, I mean, and that's, I mean, it's a double standard. I mean, we've talked about this several times now on this episode that it's, it's just, it's not only a double standard between different animals, but also in different circumstances. Like, you know, when you go to a show, you're like, oh, I need to get my horse out of the stall and walk them around because um, they're going to be in all day. But when they're in for, you know, you know, a half or uh, three quarters that amount of time, normally when they're at home, you don't get them out and walk them. I mean, it's, I don't know. I I tend to agree with you. And I'm kind of like, if you live in an area like that, take lessons. Don't buy a horse yeah. and bring a horse into that circumstance where they can't have buddies. They don't have access to free space. 
an hour a day or 30 minutes a day of arena turnout or hand walking is not enough. And it's, yeah. it's arena turnout is free lunging. In my opinion, you're just free lunging your horse. That's what it is. Yeah. And also most people don't want to hang around for the amount of time that the horse would need. And a lot of barns don't offer that because they have other horses that need to go out. And so, yeah. I mean, that's controversial i'm sure and it's going to upset and make some people feel guilty and bad about yeah. it and that's not well and I, it's, i'm not i don't say it to guilt and i know like right. it's impossible not to feel guilty but i guess like the one thing that i think people need to consider is because we all would consider ourselves horse lovers exactly but if you're putting your own needs and wants like it's not a need no one needs a horse you want a horse for a personal enjoyment it, it's a luxury item mm-hmm. and well not item it's a luxury <laughs> in your life and that's great, but we can't claim to be loving our horses in the way so many people do if we're willing to put them in such a detrimental situation just so we can enjoy them. Yeah, for so many reasons, too. I mean, we listed a ton above health reasons, mental reasons, and, like, it's it's just not fair to the animal, and it's, it is selfish. I agree, and I, I hate to say that because I know it's going to hurt some feelings, and that's not the goal. I mean, nobody is... And we're not trying yeah. to shame anyone, I don't think. Um, but it's 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 something that needs to change and it needs to be considered. And if people are going to start boarding facilities, they need to consider the basic needs of a horse. I mean, like, you can't start a boarding facility and not feed them or oh, give them sure. water. So why are we neglecting another basic need? Because it costs more. And, like, I mean, a lot of barns, you know, they do neglect the feed and they feed shitty feeds like my last one did. And they also neglected the space. And, it, I mean, it's just like... It's because I think it's because the animal won't or the chances are not, (laughs) you know, uh, definitive that the animal will die if you don't have them or give them buddies or allow them space. But if you don't feed or, you know, water, they might. But I mean, then you end up with horses like Zoe that thank God we had insurance. Otherwise, she would be dead. (laughs) So, and it's well, and the hard thing is like any like most of the the most of the worst problems related to stalling too much are mental. So they're not usually as blatantly obvious as it would Mm -hmm. be if your horse just suddenly turned into a skeleton yeah Um, and i mean and to that to again to the cognitive dissonance point um you can't look at your animal say i love it keep it inside and watch it bob and weave and like understand that that's a stressful behavior the way to reduce the dissonance is to say that the horse is playing or they're being silly or they're goofy or neurotic or whatever it's not a bad thing if because if it was a bad thing then you would have to face the reality that the animal is not happy and you would have to that's the thing like i don't know like people like that that don't want to come to terms with it they're more of a problem than people who have their horses in the same situation but know that it's a problem because if you if you acknowledge it's an issue you're more likely to try to take steps to make it better Mm -hmm. but if you deny it you're not so like if anyone feels guilty i would just say to do the best you can until you can find a better situation and that you're doing your you're being a good horse owner and doing better by your horse simply by acknowledging the problem in the first place right i mean and you're probably going to take steps to if it's stuck in the stall to make that better and dedicate time out of your day whether it's inconvenient or not to have the horse you know, hand grazing for hours. Like you can't, it's, I mean, like you have to take on that responsibility. Like you said, if you got a really high energy dog breed, like I did with Myla, I had to let her out and I had to go sit outside with her and supervise for hours because I could not just leave her stuck inside all day. And it made me a real fuddy dud at parties. Cause I was like, I gotta go home. Gotta take care of the dog. (laughs) I'm like, can't leave her inside all day. Um, but yeah. Um, 
So I think the next point I had was kind of like elaborating on 24-7 forage and turnout importance because obviously we've been elaborating on turnout importance. Um, You kind of can't talk about stalling without um, that. But 24-7 forage I think is a really big deal because like I said, most horses, they get hay in the morning and then when they get turned out at night, they either get hay uh, or they just have access to grass. Um, So what do you think about that? Yeah, I think boarding barns are the biggest problems with that because most, like, I'm not, I'm not going to say most, but people that are on self-board and taking care of their own horses are less likely to do, like, the set feedings where it's, like, the horses get two flakes at this time, two flakes at this time, and two flakes here. Um, and, like, the problem with that, too, is that the flakes aren't always going to be the exact same weight, so mm-hmm. they're not always getting the same amount anyways. Right. But it, I don't, I don't like the set like feeding schedule where the horse has to go hours without being fed again and like even for fat horses there's a lot of easier solutions to make sure that they have something to nibble on all the time without overfeeding them because we have slow feed nets and like all sorts of things so i don't really think like even if boarding bars are trying to save money there's no reason to make it a situation where the horses are going hours without anything to eat right well and i agree i mean i have um i know there's some argument on whether or not you should feed horses out of hay bags because it's up high and they have those um nets where you can like put whole bales in there um but i mean if you had a horse with shoes you wouldn't be able to do that because scary um yeah but zoe i have her um nibble net hanging outside um and she's the only horse that has a hay net and it is the bane of the feed guy's existence (laughs) um we got into several arguments and he was just like so not willing to do it but now it's been long enough that it's just a part of the routine but he was so frustrated that i wanted it in a net but it makes but i mean i have a horse that you know had colic surgery and i don't know if you know about insurance but if it's happened before they don't cover it um i mean i guess it depends on the policy but ours like she's she will never be called covered for colic ever again um so i am taking every necessary precaution to prevent that from happening including stopping competing um because my horse matters to me more than um you know some ribbons and competitions that we lost anyway (laughs) um but now she has the slow feed net because um not only does it save money um, you might spend extra time, like I said, putting the hay net up and getting it clipped and shoving the hay in there, whatever. But you're going to end up saving a lot of money because the horses, I mean, every other paddock has a ton of, you know, hay on the ground or smushed into mud. Zoe's field, they eat. Oh, yeah, you save money. So yeah. Because e- I, I, do, I do hay nets all through the winter usually. Mm-hmm. And also, like, the difference a slow feeder makes because I sometimes give my horses dry round bales because there's this guy that makes really nice like horse quality round yeah. bales and I have a slow feed net for the round bales if I yeah. put the slow feed net on the round bale it lasts twice as long yeah and it, it's significant and they eat every last bite and they also eat longer than the others do um especially like thoroughbreds seem to be really um I don't want to say bad about doing it, but they, they tend to pee on hay, especially the ones oh, yeah. that have stalls uh, with straw. And They're ungrateful because they've never <laughs> starved a day in their lives. Exactly. And so, like when the, we have round bales in the winter, um, the horses, they just, when it breaks apart, they just end up pissing all over it. And I'm like, this is not a litter box, <laughs> ladies. And um, it's, it's unfortunate because we end up with big, you know, piles of, um, or big like circles of dirt. Uh, in the ground because the horses destroy the ground 
uh, on the hay and if we would put them in nets. But, you know, I mean, it's it takes extra time and nobody wants to do that, but it would save a ton of money. It would save um, so much money, yeah. And also it's better for the horses because they don't waste the hay, so they spend more time eating. And, you know, if it's on the ground in flakes... Um, they walk on it, they pee on it, and then they don't eat all of it. So then they're like, okay, well, now I'm stuck without hay, you know? And yeah. the idea that, you know, they should just know not to do that. Well, it's an animal. <laughs> it can't yeah, conceptualize. They no yeah, they don't have future. Um, oh, what is that? Uh, God, psychology major over here can't remember Fortnite? it. No, that's. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I mean, they. Um, it's more instant gratification, I guess. I'll just go with the opposite term. But Yeah, like, they can't know, like, oh, if I poo on this now, that means I won't get to eat it later. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think now we can move into my common argument slash devil's advocate section. <laughs> um, so there are a few here. Um, the argument that some horses just don't like stalling. Shelby, what do you think about that? <laughs> do you, am I supposed to do, like, a rebuttal on it? Yes. <laughs> Okay, so some horses just don't like turnout, was it? Yeah. Okay, they just so don't like, or, no horse dis- yeah. like okay, they might dislike turnout, but it's not because they're just going, huh, like I'd rather not go outside. It's because you've put them in such a stressed out state. You, you've basically, they have Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. You've put them in a stall and they've gotten used to being enclosed in a small area, four by four walls, or not, like four walls, all attached. They it's their perception of safety. Horses. They can't, they definitely can't trot around. It's, yeah. it's usually quieter in a stall. And then you throw them out in a situation all at once when they don't get any exercise other than riding. And then you just expect them to be calm. It's not fair to the horse. Um, so it, for that situation, like I would say the easy solution for people who have horses that are stressed like that is to First and foremost, put them out with a quiet buddy, like a quiet horse that's not going to go running around with them mm-hmm. if they get stressed. And secondly, constant forage. And right. then if they're still stressed, then you start the turnout in smaller, like smaller yeah. increments. Well, and, and even it then, highly rewarding to be out there. Right. And even then, I mean, you could start so small as like just hand walking the horse and then yeah. start turning out in the arena for longer periods of time and longer periods of time and then work up to going out with a buddy, like you said, that's calm for a short amount of time, bring him back in, and then just work up to it and make it a really rewarding experience with, you know, friends that are nice and not going to beat them up and food that they really enjoy. Uh, maybe start feeding them outside um, so that they really yeah. look forward to going outside. I mean, there's so many things that you could do. I yeah. mean, if you can train a well, horse, a yeah. naturally claustrophobic animal, to enjoy being on a, st- uh, on a trailer and yeah. loading by themselves, like you can – absolutely train a horse to enjoy something that they're biologically designed to desire yeah that's the thing naturally no horse would enjoy being in a stall because as a flight animal it's more dangerous and then i guess the other argument i would have against that is if you throw a horse outside they're stressed and then you say they don't like it you better have the same energy towards your riding when they refuse a jump they don't like jumping stop jumping them because most people in that case they would put the work in to fix it training wise if you're not going to put the same work in to make them comfortable in their off time then you're super selfish exactly because one is self-serving you want to do the jumping and you're driven and motivated so you're gonna make it happen 
But, you know, you're not going to work with the same amount of energy and motivation to give your horse its basic needs. I mean, I agree. And I was going to make that point yeah. earlier, but I couldn't figure out how to articulate it. So I just skipped it. it so it's thank so you. sad because, like, the, if you think about it, like, the, the horses will go out to the arena and they'll jump over stuff and do stuff that's so unnatural for their nature. And then their owners that use that excuse don't even have it in them to give them comfort in their off time between yeah. rides. Yeah, I completely agree. So I think that's that one argued. Um, so the argument that it keeps them safer and healthier looking, I feel like this might be a smidgen redundant, but who knows? You might say something like yeah. you just did. That I would say, said. I would say like they might get less like superficial scratches. Like mm-hmm. they're probably more likely to get little cuts and abrasions in the field. But like, honestly, I've seen way more horses die from colics and like being cast and stuff like that than I ever have from accidents out in the field. And also riding them is dangerous. So again, like same thing as the last argument, if you're okay with endangering them to go do your horse shows and ride around on them, then you should care even more about doing something that's for their well-being. I completely agree. Um, okay. Another question that I have that I just thought of, um, which do you think is better either keeping horses in a barn where they can touch other horses uh, either through the bars or like see them outside of their doors, um, or being in an, a paddock in isolation. Um, I think they'd probably prefer to be in the barn where they could all interact with pe- with, with each other. Mm-hmm. And like, there are some really neat barns. I think they're mostly in Europe where they yeah. set up like the stalls are all open and the horses are inside. They're in a barn and there's like shavings everywhere, but they're all together and they have space. I have seen like, that. That's open so awesome. concept barns. It's like a big arena i guess yeah that's that's super dope and i i prefer the stalls because i thought you were going to say the ones that just kind of have like kind of a border pin kind of thing like kind of like a what do you call it like a puppy whelping station yeah. <laughs> like where they don't have bars or walls or anything and i mean i could see where that would be problematic but i i think that's way better because they could uh groom and interact with one another than um because, I mean, it's all about us, frankly. I mean, we're trying to yeah. keep them safe and from injuring themselves when, you know, you won't even take the step to see if that would work, if they could learn to be comfortable with that, like being outside. Oh, for sure. Um, well, and even the issue of, like, a lot of people say they don't want bars between the stalls or don't want the, the stalls to be lower so that they could groom each other because their horses will fight. Mm-hmm. But all of that food aggression and aggression to other horses is part of the problem. Yeah, you know? it comes like, from a being horse stalled. that grows up in a herd they're not going to have the same level of problem sharing food. And like Milo's food aggressive, but he was starved. So it's understandable. Right. Um, and like, he's gotten better the more he's been out with other horses and the more they've, he's realized that he's just going to get fed all the time and that they always have hay. It's gotten better, but at its core, the reason why horses are aggressive like that, especially to the point where you actually have to worry about having a half stall because you think it's dangerous. It's because of the situation that they have been put in by people. Right. Completely agree. Um, okay, so um, I guess like the last one was something that we kind of touched on: the idea of elitism that it's somehow better, um, or you care more about your horse. It's I guess it's kind of like performative activism where you like it's like look how nice I'm taking care of my horse. He gets to stay inside in a nice, snugly clean stall um, versus being outside and it's like you said, hillbilly or uh, redneck. Yeah to keep them out all the time. And I had to fight against that too. And I'm sure you did to some extent when I decided to move Zoe to 24 seven turnout. 
um, everybody was kind of like, why? And I was like, I mean, at the time that was when I was like getting a lot of hate, for <laughs> positive reinforcement. Cause it's kind of hard to say I'm switching to this training method, but I don't think it's better than your method. <laughs> like, cause I, obviously yeah. I do. Otherwise I wouldn't be. And I, I tried to use that argument so much to save my own ass and it does not work. But I mean, it's the same thing with turning out. Like, obviously I think it's better because that's what I'm choosing to do for my horse. And I mean, obviously depends on the horse, but I think turnout pretty much goes for every horse there is. And, um, I don't know. I just, I fucking elitism is like so ingrained in the horse world. And I think that's also partly why like people fought your transitioning to training methods so much. And it's also why people fight other like science-based training methods and like studies, like the turnout stuff. They do it because they don't want to change their ways. And it, and like, it, it is a selfish thing. Like it, it, they're doing it to protect themselves from having to adopt a new lifestyle and I found it like it's so ingrained to the point where like I've had people like make fun of me for not having like a fancy like fancy like my barn is not fancy it's not fancy here it's just like regular yeah it's either and I've had people make fun of me for that and be like, oh, like, you're you're at your, like, oh, dinky little, like, like barn with, like, stuff sitting out and there's, like, not nice stuff. Like, it's it's not a fancy barn. But it's not the, the priority. All the same. The horses get to go out. All of them, either, all of them have constant access to a paddock. Other than stall resting horses, there's no horses that can't walk outside yeah. from their shelter. And, and it's set up better for the horses. And I've even had people say things like, if I don't inject my horses, then I'm not caring for them as much. And yeah. it's all so skewed because if your horse needs injections, it means that they've been worked in a manner that has worn their joints to the point where they need injections. And I'm not saying yeah. injections are bad, but they shouldn't be like viewed as like you're better if your horse needs injections. Right. Well, and that's where I'm at with like, you know, Zoe got diagnosed with kissing spine and I did inject her hawks because that's what I thought the issue was. But uh, believe it or not, those two things tend to go together. Um, she yeah. has hawk problems because she has kissing spine and she's not using her back and therefore using her hawks in a way that she's not designed to. Um, but kissing spine, like, you know, a lot of people were like, why aren't you getting the surgery to fix it? You can literally fix it. But, like, the the surgery is either having somebody go sand down the bones in her back or cut a, a ligament in her back. Like, I was like, uh, I don't know about that. I'm going to have to think on that one. Yeah. And my vet was and like, oh, so yeah. it's so expensive. Just... Plus, if, if the spinal processes have worn down each other, the surgery doesn't always work. Like, right. I don't remember what they said the success rate is. But it's not as high as you would want it to be for how risky it is and how much it costs. Well, and here's the thing, too, with that is it's the same point that we're both making about stalling and horses that are uncomfortable being outside. It takes more work to get there. But the correct way to fix kissing spine is not to do the surgeries. The surgeries may help. But you're going to end up with a similar problem because the, the fundamental error is that the horse has been carrying itself wrong, whether it's due to genetics or confirmation or just bad training. Mine, I think Zoe's built pretty well. I mean, she's got a shark fin with her, but I'm not entirely sure that that has anything to do with kissing spine. But um, it, she carried herself wrong for so long because I was under trainers that didn't, you know, we didn't have a hyper focus on long and low and building a top line properly from the ground and then getting on. So, I mean, now I can't, I mean, I can't get on her because, um, and I refuse to use lunging aids because it having that tension. And that's, this is the whole point is those shortcuts screw everything up. 
So when you put lunging aids on, the horses brace against them, and then they get tight in their back, which prevents them from building the muscles that they need to help their spine out. And that is a whole lot harder because you have to learn how to do it properly, and that's why I've been avoiding it personally, <laughs> um, because you have to learn how to do it first uh, because you can't use those tools. And also you can't just rely on the surgery to fix the problem because the horse is still going to be carrying itself incorrectly. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like the surgery, you could just screw it up again if you don't rehab the horse properly. And yeah. that's the problem I have with gadgets. Like I will use side reins when I'm lunging sometimes, but I don't use them tightly. And also the horse needs to still have a basic concept of softness before you put them on. Like I would right. never put them on a horse that braces because it's not going to teach them anything. Right. And then with like under saddle aids, like draw reins and all this stuff at their core, they're all about just forcing the horse into a certain frame before they're ready to do it. Right. Um, and it's, it's about getting that end result without teaching the animal how to get there and that's yeah. what I like about the positive reinforcement you work in successive approximations and it's a lot harder to jump to the end result with that and because I have a, a tendency to just want to get to the end goal behavior I mean I think we all do to some extent and so when I use negative reinforcement I'm a lot more likely to try and push the issue and so that's why positive reinforcement is so important to me and it's better for me because you know I mean you can think logically and uh intelligently that you want to do it a certain way, use positive reinforcement X, Y, Z. But I also use it as a preventative because I know myself and I know that I'm going to rush it and try to get somewhere, um, you know, quicker than I need to. And it's a lot harder for me to do that in positive reinforcement, but it's the same concept that it's just, it's a lot easier to take the shortcuts and just validate it and be like, Oh, well, you know, the, this is the easier way, this is the best way, and we end up elevating the shortcuts to some sort of elitism. Like, everybody always says you should only ride and draw reins if you have fantastic hands. Well, everyone wants to ride and draw reins to prove that they can have, or that they have fantastic hands. And I think if you have good hands, you shouldn't be drawing. I completely agree. <laughs> I kind of have the same stance on certain bits, like gag bits. I'm like, bro, if you have to use a certain level of equipment, I'm kind of on the opinion. I mean, it's, and it's an unpopular opinion. I don't know if you're going to agree with it or not, but if you have to use a piece of equipment that is that has that high of a propensity for damage, then why are we pushing the issue? Maybe change disciplines, do something else. You don't have to compete. teach the horse better flat work so they relax. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with you there, though. I think they need to have more regulations um, for show jumpers, especially. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we'll get into that on your <laughs> on oh, your yeah. episode all about the... <laughs> oh, yeah, that one will be a doozy because there's so much oh, to I know. say. I... Well, and do you know that Anchor has, like, a time limit? Like, your file can't be super big? Um, oh, shoot, really? Yeah. No, I did not know that. I think... I can't remember what my longest one is, but um, I try to keep it under two hours. And even okay. when I do two hours, sometimes I have to <laughs> make it a uh, like a not as high quality file. But nobody on the podcast needs to know that I can text you about it. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, but because I mean, I could talk about stuff like this forever. But um, do you have anything else to say about the elitism thing, or do you want to move on to listener um, questions? I like the last thing I will say is that I think like at its core, a lot of the ways we train and keep horses are selfish and about instant gratification for us. And I mm -hmm. think that competition, I don't think competing horses is inherently wrong, right. but the problem with it is that it creates a certain drive to get to a certain point and you start comparing yourself to others inevitably. And it makes you want to rush things, which makes you more predisposed to starting to do things that are unfair to the horse and justifying them. Right. And I, I think that's the main problem 
like with the turnout thing is that people are valuing their own ease of living or what they feel most comfortable with personally above what their horse would be most comfortable with. Right. And I think it's interesting because the whole time you were saying that, I was wondering if you're going to say something about rushing young horses too. And I was like, and here's our preview on, yeah. on your episode um, for your podcast, which I also should probably mention listeners out there. Um, uh, I'm also going to do an episode on Shelby's podcast where we talk about pretty much all things young horses, but, um, it's interesting that it's kind of a pervading theme, like throughout every aspect of horse training. Cause I mean, I thought you were going to go in that direction and you went in the stalling turnout direction and yeah. it's just applicable everywhere. It's all connected. Cause I find that a lot of the people who are most inclined to use a lot of training aids or bigger bits are also the same people that don't want to turn out their horses right yeah and they're usually the people that depend on the horses for um finances and uh, supporting them and they're their business so they got to get the horse to a top level fast enough but people don't realize that those horses are the ones that break down oh for sure patience is key with horses Mm -hmm. slow and steady wins the race we learn nothing from the turtle and the hare (laughs) yeah um or tortoise whatever fuck it um (laughs) okay so uh now I think we can move into listener questions, yeah? Okay, perfect. Okay, so um, some of these aren't actually questions, and they're just like, talk about it. <laughs> um, uh, so let me attempt to make sure that I'm not being super redundant. So um, the first one, like stalling and its relation to injury rates and creating fragile horses. I mean, I think we pretty well touched on that. Um, one thing that I can add about that that someone told me at the racetrack that I found quite interesting is apparently North America is the only area where racehorses are kept at the track and stalls and everywhere else they haul horses in and a lot of them turn <laughs> them figure. out horse. And we also have the highest rate of breakdowns in North America. So I think that it's all connected for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that definitely makes sense. And I mean, it, it's all the, I just think America is, uh, well, North America, I guess, cause you don't live in the States, but, um, like, I mean the UK, if I'm not mistaken, just recognized, uh, horses and some other animals as sentient beings. <laughs> and oh my God, they're not recognized as that yet. No, they're livestock still in America. Oh. I mean, how else would we have a horse slaughter industry? If they're sentient beings, you can't kill them. (laughs) Like, oh my God. Yeah. So it's like, and I mean, you know, the UK has whisker rules and um, they have so many more laws in place about the welfare and treatment of animals that we just don't have in the US because of the shortcuts and the, you know, aesthetics of everything and it's it's nicer to have your horse scratch free and with a shiny coat which often they end up being dingy if they're super stressed out anyway um but you know keeping them in stalls for uh you know aesthetics and selfish reasons yeah yeah it's a big problem here north america i think we just view ourselves as like the center of the earth too so it's hard (laughs) to take in what other areas are doing better yeah well and i keep I always say, like, I would so love to, like, at least spend some time over in the UK and, like, Germany. Germany tends to be, like, really progressive. Um, I see so many people, like, that, like, their competitions allow you to ride bridleless and tackless. That's so cool. I wish they, I asked the lady at, like, Southlands, a local show, plays here about that, and she was so mean to me and, like, basically said I was stupid, and I was like, there's literally no rule against this. They just told me it was Stewart's decree discretion and then she was so unkind and i was like wow yeah so you're allowed to go into the arena with a double twisted wire gag but i can't take my horse in bridal is okay dude don't even get me 
started. <laughs> I mean, I have so much to say on that. And I'm sure it'll come up in the yeah, it'll young be, in the young horse when we can talk about all. Yeah, of that. I'm trying to keep keep on topic, no tangents. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I also have some episodes planned on. I want to do like a. I'm I'm planning to do another controversial tag talk, um, okay. YouTube video because uh, I don't know. It's been a few years since I posted the last two and. Uh, I don't agree with half of the shit I said. Yeah. So, um, and I know Those you recently are always did fun. One. People get so mad. Yeah, I watched I watched yours recently because I wanted to um, make sure that I wasn't gonna miss anything. But then I actually have already filmed it, and it ended up being like two hours long. And I was like, all right, uh, <laughs> we're gonna have to redo that and find out what's important. But um, yeah, I am planning on doing a podcast more in depth on it as well, and I'm sure I'm gonna piss some people off because my views are not <laughs> what they used to be. And I used to always get people saying like, oh my God, I love everything you have to say. You're so middle of the road. And I was like, yes, because I'm pandering because I'm a child and I don't know how to have an opinion. <laughs> I'm afraid of other people disagreeing with me. But I think this, this episode is taking a step for sure in the direction of I care more about welfare than I do about, um, you know, people's opinions. Yeah, that's the thing. And honestly, the reactions I've noticed, because what I do when I talk about turnout is I always am careful to only do it on my own social platforms or in group conversations where they invite opinions. Yeah. I would never go comment on someone's post where their horse is stalled and be like, hey, screw you. Right. But if anything, you're just going to get push mad them away. even when I stay in my lane. And I've noticed that a lot of the people react very violently and like unkindly like other people the stuff people have done to me over like this the welfare stuff i've talked to is like ridiculous yeah. and i think it says something about like that level of selfishness and the type of behavior it breeds in right people. well and i mean it's uh, the the baseline behavior for all of that is fear you're afraid mm -hmm. because recognizing that you might be right means that everything that they've done is wrong and now they have to face shame and guilt and also this wildly overwhelming road ahead of how to like you know fumbling how through how to change it yeah and I, that's why i think positive reinforcement pissed so many people off because it was like yeah. oh my god <laughs> like you know this equestrian that had been so middle of the road and only ever posted about you know competitions and uh you know the normal things popular opinions and I just agreed with everyone pretty much. And uh, if I didn't, I was like, ah, I'm just not going to talk about that one. Um, you know, I mean, it's, I don't know. I, anyway. Yeah, and it, it's the thing for those people, too, is that they deter people from speaking out because they it, they handle the disagreement by just trying to make the other side out to be stupid. Right. Even if the other side has the most credible information. And they're often the loudest ones because they have the most reason to argue. And, and the people that yeah. tend to agree or are sort of in agreement tend to not say anything because they're like, mm, I'm not really sure where I stand. So then you yeah. end up feeling like everybody is against you. And so definitely been Oh, for sure. It makes there. it so hard to talk about anything because people are just so aggressive, mm -hmm. no matter how you say it. And like, I don't know, I, I state things often pretty bluntly in writing <laughs> yeah. and without tone. So people always assume I'm just like being a dick and I'm just like, no, like I, I just don't want to add like emojis and extra flour to like my post when I yeah. don't have to. I definitely still do that because I am people pleaser at heart, but um it's i i understand where you're coming from and also like i get so annoyed in the podcast and videos when i catch myself being like okay well i don't want to offend anybody okay well i'm not saying this and like i feel like i have to cover every fucking variable yeah. 
to make sure that I'm not pissing anybody off. And I'm like, can it just be understood that I'm not trying to personally attack anyone? And use- well, and if welfare discussion pisses you off, like, are you are you really looking out for your animals? Exactly. Best and if I if it doesn't apply to you, I'm not talking about you. Oh, exactly. Like so many people are like, oh yeah, well, like my horse goes out, and you're like, okay, congrats. Like I don't even know who your horse is. Why would I be referencing you? <laughs> yeah, and beyond that, like if you're mad, then you should probably take a look at it. You know? <laughs> yeah. No but- kidding. Because then you feel targeted in some way. It doesn't matter how much or how little it applies if you get upset about it it's because you feel threatened right and yeah (sighs) we're both like (laughs) getting heated about that so much ptsd around uh internet drama but okay so uh i think that one's about getting injured um oh wow i definitely use siri on this if you had to stop for at least part of the day uh how long do you think would be acceptable to stall if I had to stall for at least part of the day, I wouldn't want my horse stalled for longer than they're out in the paddock. So I think I'd only want them stalled for like up to eight hours a day. I probably want it similar to what people view as acceptable for dogs. And I think it's eight hours that they say no more than eight hours in the kennel. Mm-hmm. I agree. So I'd say the same for horses. Yeah, I still like, I mean, I'm sure you feel similarly. Like I just like thinking about putting Zoe back in a stall, like gives me like instant anxiety. I'm like, oh my God, she'd be so stressed. <laughs> like, Well, eight hours is such a long, like Milo, honestly, if he had been stalled long term when I got him, he would be one of the horses that people would want to euthanize for aggression. Because even when we had to put him on paddock rest for his injury, like several years ago, mm-hmm. he was so mean to everybody. Oh my God, that's and, how Bro like, was. Yeah, like awful, like so unhappy. And then it came out in aggression to other people. Yeah. Um, well, and I, when, when I had my last horse, Bo, he, um, he had keratoma removal surgery. So they literally, like his bone was exposed oh on his God. hoof. They had to, I mean, we had to take him to Oklahoma and they had to cut it out and it was a whole issue. And he was on stall rest for six months. Oh my God. And, uh, I couldn't, I think I started riding him in month eight, but I mean, he had to grow his entire hoof out because if he got anything in it, he could have gotten an, an infection and then he would have been dead. And yeah. so it was, um, it was so brutal. He was such an asshole. Like the stalls, um, it, it was that barn that had the cinder block stalls and they had some wood panels and like the back of the door, uh, was wood. And like, there were teeth marks. It looked like there was a bear in there because he was oh just, God. he just like c- clawed it with his mouth. Like he just ate the stall apart and he didn't crib, but he would just like, scrape the fuck out of the wood and he would kick the stalls anybody that tried to clean he was just aggressive and i mean like i had stall guards up because i wanted him to have some like freedom and but i mean i was a kid and i didn't want to walk him every day i mean like i would get him out for 20 minutes and then put him back up and i mean that was super shitty and now i'm like i couldn't imagine doing that um but yeah so i mean it's it's just lazy and selfish and Ugh, I just I can't even yeah. imagine putting Zoe in now. She she gets to stay outside, and if she wants to be in a shelter, she is more than welcome. Um, but yeah, I think that question's pretty well answered. Yeah. Um, so how to safely stall a horse that needs to be on stall rest but has always been in a pasture? So I guess um, nice I would get there. them lots of toys and like enrichment. 
constant yeah. hay in a hay net. And also, like if they like like I said, if they get really worked up, what I would do is I do a long acting mm-hmm. tranquilizer. I don't remember what the drug is called. Yeah, I didn't but know there that was a one thing. that lasts for like a month. Yeah, that's wild. I had no idea that was a thing, and I'll definitely keep that in mind. Um, I'd have to see if it's like legal in America because sometimes it's yeah different. But I've definitely I'm not never. Sure. I've... I'll ask. I'll ask what it's called because I know that like racehorses that were rehabbing injuries from the track, they would use it on some of them. Yeah, because I mean, I've had horses on stall rest and I've never had a vet mention that to me and everyone in my area when they've had horses that have been nutso on stall rest they end up like acing them and ace, yeah, is, ace is not a good no um, and it's really annoying like, because I mean if they're already jazzed up and you give them ace it just makes it worse uh, yeah so yeah I mean I and the thing is too um it's funny because I just hadn't even considered that this was a thing but we had Astro he's our um three-month-old warm blood cult and he is the mouthiest motherfucker on the face of the earth he like uh it's it's he's like bitten me a few times but it's never it's never a bite it's just kind of a like a like a yeah well not even that like he got my whole bicep in his arm like two days ago and it just felt like he touched me and I was like, thank you, horse gods, for not oh my God. <laughs> making me lose a chunk of my bicep. But um, it, it, so he's super mouthy. So I told Sonny to get him a like a jolly ball with like a little handle because I thought he would be all over that shit. And he was like, he had no idea how to use it. And I think <laughs> I think people think that the horses will just pick it up. And they don't. You have to teach them how to use it unless you do, like, enrichments, like, putting hay in, a like, in an old Amazon box or something. A lot of people do that uh, where they have to kind of, like, dig around in it and it stimulates foraging, (laughs) not stimulates. Um, But, yeah, so there are things like that. But also with toys, like, a lot of horses, they get those – they look like apples and you put those um, tasty fillers in there. um, Oh, yeah. Which – full of sugar <laughs> and yeah. also both of my uh zoe and previous horse Bo would eat them in one night so kind yeah, of yeah my old era the purpose. used to do that yeah and so and then they don't play with the ball and um so i mean like i think people give kind of like a half-ass effort they're like oh this is good enough he has a ball in there he just doesn't play with it and then they blame the horse like <laughs> no you have to teach it how to do that it's not in their natural um ethogram behavior repertoire to uh play with balls um okay let's move on um uh okay so this one i don't know if you uh have any like research on it um but does keeping a horse installed for the majority of the day negatively affect hooves and overall health i mean i think i think we pretty much i mean i don't have any like statistics or anything on hooves i think talked about it definitely impacts negative it 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 negatively impacts their health for sure because like i said earlier like the stall vices and like they call it stereotypical behaviors in Mm -hmm. science like weaving cribbing they're all called that and they basically only exist in stalled horses and like like they came about from us stalling horses and the stress that we inflict on horses so that would be mental like poor health yeah and then the physical poor health would be the lack of circulation the respiratory issues and yeah i'd say the mental health though is the one where people see it the most obviously but they will try to often mislead people why the behaviors exist yeah and i mean it goes back to the cognitive dissonance and you know it's actually really interesting because when i asked on instagram about the um 
stalling and what people thought and people brought up the um, respiratory issues. I had never even considered that. And I mean, I'd seen people saying like, you need to put lime over the urine spots or let it air out for a while so it doesn't get too bad. But I just never really considered like the distinction because like, uh, I guess let me make a distinction here. Um, There was this Instagrammer a while back, like this was years ago, and she used to train her horse to smile by using ammonia. And that's actually pretty common. And wow. like, uh, let's not, because it makes the horse do the flamin or however the hell you pronounce it. Oh my that. God. Um, uh, do you know how to pronounce that by chance? Yeah. I call it flamin. Okay. Yeah, um, I'm like flamin. <laughs> or uh, smiley lip. Yes. So when they, and they lift their lip up to smell better, um, you can teach them to smile that way. And, uh, she was doing that and she got hella hate for that. I mean, like people called, um, the animal services on her. Oh my and, God. Um, it was a whole ordeal, but then you do the same thing and it's, uh, it's, I mean, it's obviously not as concentrated as it would be in a cup, but like, it's pretty, pretty much the same. I mean, you would add up stalls. like over the hours that they're exposed to it though. So it's kind of ironic that yeah. people throw a fit over that, but exactly. It's what you're talking about. Like, you know, the distinction between horses and dogs, it's double standard, um, because one is self-serving and one is not. <laughs> um, okay. So do stalls with runout give a significant improvement over stalls with no uh, turnout uh, in terms of quality of life? I don't think they specifically studied in and out stalls, but they did do a study on stall bars and like horses being able to see out and interact with other horses. And it did make a significant difference. So I would assume in and outs would be the same, but honestly even better because they'd have more movement. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what to do this one's like kind of like a i guess a personal um what do i do if i have a horse that um i absolutely have to put on stall rest and he's very anxious he paces paces so much that his stall is mud um i'm guessing like they i would assume they don't know about the long acting tranquilizers and i'm sure that's what um but in the event that that is not legal in america like what would you suggest outside of like enrichment um, I would look into, like, some of the more potent cal- calming supplements mm-hmm. and see, like, what ones are the best ones on the market right now that you can feed daily. Yeah. And then the other thing would just be if he's not already getting free choice hay, I would get him a slow feed net and give him free choice hay. And if he's able to eat stuff like alfalfa, you could give that to him because it's a little bit coarser. So if you mix that with the grass hay, it'll take him a little longer to get through it. And typically horses really like the taste of alfalfa, so yeah. it'll keep him busier and then if there's any way to make it so he can see other horses in the stall if he can't already that'll help or if there's any way to take like the window down so he can at least stick his head out and look out that generally helps as well um and then obviously if you're allowed to hand walk him just hand walk him for as long as you can each day yeah and i think also too with that like um damn it i tried to stutter so i couldn't get back to my thought it left shit i hate when this happens see this is normally at the point where like if i'm filming i'll just like take a break and like rewind and listen yeah um but i was gonna say something else Ugh, i totally forgot oh i i was gonna say something about like if you're concerned about um gaining weight by having hay all day long uh obviously the slow feed net should help but um at the same time, like you can adjust the grain accordingly because mm-hmm. in my opinion, uh, it's much better to just do an all forage diet with choice minerals. And, uh, if you have to give them a certain supplement, like, like you said, if you have to give long acting, um, 
supplements uh, for calming to uh, mix them with just a little bit of food and try to reduce the, um, oh, what do they call it? Like I have the word commercial and condensed stuck in my head. I know it's Con- just, concentrates. Yes, yes, um, yeah. and reduce that. I think that's kind of a general rule, but yeah, I'm actually trying to switch my horses completely over to hay pellets so I can let people know if it works. Because yeah, see, I, but <laughs> I think that would be really interesting. Um, I know, but when yeah, I, like I would pull them off. Like if they're on stall rest, I would give them as little grain as possible personally because it's so it keeps them pent up and then yeah, yeah. and also that's grain. Stuff, so. And grain, Sorry, like gosh. most people feed, like we, oh my God, one of the horses that we had here, um, he was so thin when he came to us, but he was so prone to ulcers. And so we got this feed, I forget exactly what it was, but it was specifically designed for underweight, ulcer prone horses. And when I started doing uh, the minimal looking into nutrition that I did, it had like almost a 10% sugar um, oh God. in it. And I was like, what the hell? I was like, the horse's bodies are not designed to process n- near that amount. And it like, it's a guarantee for ulcers. And I was like, how on earth are we, you know, it, like, I think it's because boarding barns, honestly, like if more people had to learn about the actual day to day, like, like you would with a dog or a cat, you know, 100%. Like, you're in charge of your dog or cat's nutrition directly. And I don't know. I think it would be better if, like, when people started taking lessons, if they actually learned more about, like, equine behavior and yep. nutrition. And, yep. I yeah, said the same the thing in my... Thing, like I said, like, sugar also wrecks their feet. So that's why so many yep. thoroughbreds on the racetrack have such bad feet and thin soles. Oh, my God, I know. Me and Sunny were just talking about that. It's it's atrocious. The ones that we get off the track are just like, oh my God, it takes forever to get their feet back. And I think too, there's another kind of like, you know, people have the conspiracies about the pharmaceutical companies. Like, do they really help you or are they trying to sell? And so when you market a feed for horses that are ulcer prone to help them, it doesn't really do you a whole lot of good to fix the horse, you know, that has ulcers. Cause then you stop selling that feed. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. And also like it's, it blows my mind because I would also like to just kind of do a ration balancer and, the vitamins and minerals and whatnot, and just do like just a pretty strict hay diet. Um, and I'm sure when I have my own place, that's probably what I'm going to end up doing. But here I, I don't have full say and I'm pretty happy with the, the feed and Zoe doesn't get very much, um, just enough to feel like she's participating in breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> um, They're not feeling left out. Right. And, um, so but yeah, I think it's just, it's that elitism too. Like, oh, my horse gets the fanciest feed that I, money can buy and um, he gets this amount and these supplements. I'm doing so much. Look how much I'm doing for my horse. And it feels wrong to not, but it's more natural and it's actually better for them to do that. But the feed companies, you know, are the ones that fund the studies and they're biased and they want you to believe that your horse needs yeah. their feed. Otherwise, they yeah, and then they business. sponsor trainers too. So then the trainers are selling the product too. Mm-hmm. And honestly, even at the upper levels, I think the main thing that people need to start realizing too, and this goes into the stalling debate because a lot of the upper level riders are guilty of stalling too much. I think more people need to realize that someone being an Olympian, riding like mm-hmm. five star eventing, showing a Grand Prix, whatever. It doesn't mean they actually know anything relevant about equine behavior and like how to properly care for them in terms of like feed and like turnout and stuff. Like you can be an excellent rider and you can train horses up to that level all while taking advantage of them and not taking fair care of them. And most of the time it comes from circumstance. 
And okay. the and like I mean, people always say like back in the day, well, I didn't have all the money. I just it was hard work and blood and sweat and tears. But the the opportunities were different back then. Number one, and okay. showing and competing was not as expensive as it is today. And also like people get different lots in life. And I mean, if you just end up with the right trainer and get going, then I mean, you don't oh, exactly. have, you don't have to learn. And you can just like do everything that you've been taught. Sorry, I'm playing with a tripod thing because oh, no worries. Fidgety. Well, and if you're a new rider, you also don't know where to even start, so you're so likely to get taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. And like the fact of the matter is, most of the bars that appeal to beginning riders are the exact ones that will teach you like at least one bad thing, maybe lack of turnout, lesson horses and saddles that don't fit, that are ulcer ridden and not happy, right? Or There'll be something because most of the places are like that. And there's not the same emphasis on like equine behavior and proper animal husbandry in the horse world as there should be. Right. Um, And with dogs, like you said, when you have primary control over their care, you're probably going to put time into going to puppy classes and maybe reading a book or two and making sure that you ask your vet and make sure you're feeding the best feed you can oh, for yeah. your animal. But Well, and the other thing that I've noticed too is that like since I, since I live on the same property with my horse, like I can see them out of my bedroom window. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of boarders will claim like, oh, my horse doesn't do anything in turnout. He doesn't play. Like he, he doesn't like it. There's no point in him going out. They'll say things like that from the mere few hours that they're at the barn. If you actually sit here all day, like, they'll lay down numerous times. They'll be playing, and they'll have, like, little kind of running arounds and scoots or, like, just mm-hmm. play, like, standing still and nipping at each other and just playing that way or hanging out all together and eating hay together. Like, they do lots of stuff, and I don't think people realize how much they actually move around. And, like, like I said, my field's not as big as I would want it to be, but they're busy. Like, they're going to check stuff out. Like, when they're at the bigger field, they'll nap at the top of the hill, then they'll go to their hay, then they walk all the way down to the end to just stare at the cows that the neighbor has, Mm -hmm. and then they run back. And they do all sorts of things. Like, I think people not being around to see how their their horses might be lethargic and depressed in their stall, or how they might have really obvious stall vices that extend for hours, and they might not be aware of that, you don't notice those things unless you're at the barn all the time. Like, all the time. And beyond that, like what we were saying about um, the professional aspect, there is a motivation to, uh, you know, uh, promote a certain way of treating horses. And that's where you get the boarding barns where, um, like you were saying about the lessons, you often get taught, you know, ponies are just grumpy because they're, that's their personality. And, oh, the saddle doesn't really need to fit. Because if it did, then you wouldn't have a clientele because it'd be like, you're abusing your animals. <laughs> like, And it also costs money to like get your saddle fit and make sure your ponies are happy right. and not in pain. And people so have to like, realize they, they it's, make money. it's a yeah. business and that doesn't mean the information is factual. And just because an upper level rider does it and they aren't showing you the issues that they're running into doesn't mean <laughs> that it's the best way to do it. And I, I cannot stand exactly. people being like, well, look at the five-star event riders. They use X amount of equipment or um, do this and that. And I'm like, all right. But that to me, that doesn't justify because I'm like, well, I, yeah. I, I sometimes I even... anything because they're still being unfair to the horse. Like at the right. end of the day, 
And, and like, this is obviously not like the greatest comparison because this thing that I'm going to say is way more serious than what's going on with the horses. But we're learning right now in the world about like how big this human trafficking ring is mm-hmm. in North America and how many high profile people have been involved. It's not right. that hard to think that there'd be lower scale things like this happening in the horse world where they're doing unfair things to the horses and either covering it up or teaching people that it's okay so no one questions them because it makes them money and they can produce horses quicker, churn them out more and if you can stable more horses on your property and have less turnout pens you got more money from training horses and boarding horses exactly and the horses that are the ones that get rushed and pushed through the training are the ones that you know they they're doing that because they need to be sold and because the trainers don't make money otherwise because their entire business is selling horses based on their name and if they're not competing at those upper levels they don't have a name and they don't have a business and but that doesn't mean that those like like I was saying about gag bits and certain pieces of equipment, I'm like, if you have to use that, maybe we don't need to be running that level, you know? Like, why are we yeah. why are we prioritizing jumping a certain height or going so fast or pushing the horse literally to its limits? Uh, I mean, like, I mean, I'm sure people remember what happened with Elisa Wallace, and I mean, it's not necessarily a comment on her character, but what happened with her at was it badminton or Burley where she got yellow carded for? I think it was badminton no burly i don't know it's one of the b ones um i think it's badminton yeah and she got carded for pushing her horse past exhaustion and i'm like if if the event is that hard where a horse at that level can still be so wiped out like it just i don't know that's where i run into it's honestly like like I'm not an event rider, but like horse shows in a lot of ways, they're just becoming like a massive dick measuring contest. Everyone is trying to flex their wealth, how nice their horse is, how much they can do, how big scary of jumps they can do, how, how many scary cross country fences they can do. They like, and I think that's where we get greedy because humans are naturally Mm -hmm. just greedy beings. And then we're all trying to just prove that we're the best at the expense of the horse. Well, and then people start thinking that, in like knowledge and intellect are mutually exclusive with uh, competition level and success. And that is not the case because I would argue you and I are not the most, you know, show accomplished individuals <laughs> in the horse yeah. world, but we are probably more knowledgeable on a lot of the subjects and a lot of the top, you know, young riders and professional riders. And uh, it's just because if that's not what you're taught. And when you go to like pony club, you get taught how to rap maybe. You know, yeah, a little bit about feed. you don't get taught the behaviors, and no. that that's the thing. Like an upper level rider for sure could ride a a course better than me for mm-hmm. sure. Like 100%. they'd be able to get on and they'd be able to do it because they've had way more practice at that level. But they would probably be missing out a lot of behaviors of their horse that I'm looking at and noticing, yeah. and like certain aspects of like people's like honestly, when I'm walking through new places, I'll, I can't help it. I'll just be kind of oh, scoping out how fair it is to the horse if the horse looks unsound if they're in pain and like i don't know yeah and if you say anything you're like they're like uh well the horse wouldn't be doing it if it didn't want to (laughs) and i'm like yeah it has nothing to do with your bits and whips and equipment (laughs) like you're right when it says no you just beat it (laughs) yeah okay well and and it's sad because the horses that put up with that are so resilient and like Mm -hmm like good natured and then the ones that can't mentally handle it and crumble and turn into like basket cases they're always ruled as the bad horses but realistically they're just not as able to cope with the mistreatment as other horses right nor should they be 
And I, I completely agree. I mean, like, I think you and I have what would be defined as the typical problem horses because Zoe came from, I mean, she was very hot and just could not tolerate the things that most horses can tolerate in the show environment. She was beyond stressed out. And I mean, like I told you, she was standing in the corner of her stall, bumping her nose against the wall. And most horses at shows, you know, I, I don't see them doing that. Some weave in some crib and I mean, they have stereotypes, but um, Zoe was particularly sensitive to it. And I know Milo has some issues in his history and traumas. Oh, yeah. and- it, it's, it's sad because people wouldn't notice it in the same way. And I've actually had people tell me things about his behaviors that just like simply aren't true. Mm-hmm. Like... When he, he used to pin his ears at people when he'd bring his food in. And he wouldn't do anything, but he'd just pin his ears and make a mean face. And people would be like, oh, he's being so bad. Like, he, he's, he's, he's so aggressive. Like, he needs to be put in his place. And this was when, like, he was in an in-and-out paddock. And the lady chased him out of the paddock, and he caught his hip on the door. Ugh. And he's still afraid yeah. of doorways because of it, yeah. on and off. But they labeled it as, like, him being aggressive when really like he had gone for so long without any food that there's like a, a panic response almost like you want to make yeah. sure you get it and you're getting possessive of it and now he doesn't pin that badly and he doesn't act that aggressive mm-hmm. but what he does do around grain time is he makes like a a chewing motion with his mouth like yeah. kind of like I like I have to film it one time it, he just kind of chews his mouth with his jaw sideways and it's kind of like oh, a yeah, nervous tick yeah um I can't remember I think uh in Raquel Dreisman's book the language signs and calming signal she talks about that um sometimes they call it a jaw stretch and I think there's something else um there's also a difference between like tongue out licking and uh just licking and chewing and stuff like that, and I mean, uh, and my oh, favorite. I'd love to learn more about tongue out licking because he does that all the time after I feed him stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's normally kind of like a I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty. Sh- it's been a minute since I read the book, but I'm pretty sure it's uh, a come down from the sympathetic nervous system, and I would assume at that like at the time he's getting really worked up and anxious like excited or nervous from <laughs> past history about food, and then he's kind of coming down after, like you said. Um, but I think my favorite thing that's a perfect example of what you're talking about is people commenting on your things being like oh chestnut mares am I right (laughs) oh my god yeah he's like a gelding yeah it's it's... well and like honestly like he 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 just likes the things that he likes you know like he can't be bothered to meet a horse that he's not met before he doesn't really Mm -hmm. care about most of them and I like, and he's not—he's not a mare. He's like honestly the most expressive horse I've ever met in terms of what he's willing to communicate with other horses and with people. And yeah. that's not something that people should be like right. stereotyping in a bad way, you know. And well, I feel bad for mares because they like with Zoe too. A lot of people would probably want to write off her behaviors as like her being in heat or mm-hmm. like moody because she's a mare, and it's not mares are more sensitive it's hotter because females are you know genetically more emotional which is not fucking true at all um it's all about socialization people but uh but with mares it's it's anthropomorphic you just put the things that you believe about people which are inaccurate onto the animals and then i mean that's where the whole dominance theory shit comes in and see i said that i said that if we're gonna be feminists we need to not stereotype i thought that was the best thing (laughs) no I know, but like, but it's also because people have an issue with being feminist, but I like, like feminism is is important because it it is weird. And like, just in general, how much we just enforce 
certain static views in society like even on animals like it's Mm -hmm. so weird yeah and I agree and I mean like I think people get uh because I mean I'm the same way and I I'm in south uh USA so I mean it's especially not accepted here to be anything left um so I have some you know views that I'm like oh maybe that's not (laughs) how the rest of the world thinks and actually how I think I've just been kind of indoctrinated that way. And feminism is one of them because, you know, I'm used to people screaming and only focusing on the people that are being so loud and ridiculous. It's kind of like I compare it to vegans, like uh, yeah. people that hate the vegans that are like horse riding is abuse. And also anything to do with touching animals and not just letting them be wild is abuse. Like those people are not, they do not speak for the majority of vegans. And that's how I feel about feminism. And I'm Well, yeah, and then everyone it. sees them and yeah, they hate them because of it. And, it's, it's true, because some people take way too radical of a stance, and even if they have good ideas, it scares people away from it, because it's just too... That's exactly what happened hard. with me and positive reinforcement. I went Yeah, exactly. That's what I was actually thinking of, is that people go too hard, and then they make people not want to try it at all. Right, and that's what happened to me. I know it was it was a guilt reaction that I was like, fuck, I have to distance myself as far away from all of that as I can, and now I've kind of, like leveled out a little bit where I'm still predominantly positive reinforcement minded, but I definitely use negative reinforcement pretty often. Um, but it's in, I try to make it in more of a non escalating way, which is arguably quite difficult, but, um, that's the goal. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I agree with the feminism. When you said that about mares, I was like, Oh my God, nail on the head because nobody's ever really called Zoe marish. Cause she doesn't really pin her ears ever and that i guess is what makes a mare a mare <laughs> is ear pinning yeah that's what makes milo milo yeah exactly and it's just it cracks me up that like people are like oh my god you can't say you know oh you're acting that way because it's your time of the month or because you're a woman you're overly emotional people get offended but then they turn around and say the same exact shit about their animals <laughs> i'm like yeah and then- ah. The bad thing is I've seen it cover up, like, so many mares that are just genuinely, like, in pain and uncomfortable. They get it written off as just, like, being in heat or just being a bitch. And then they get, like, they have to just learn how to just put up with it, you know? And they just have to cope with it. I mean, and when I was, uh, like, uh, it was more of a, like, scientific spin on the heat thing. I was at a clinic and Zoe was, like, tossing her head and swishing her tail as, as her, you know, what she's known for is the propeller tail and everybody always was like oh my god she's so spicy spicy bean like look at her tail it's a propeller oh my god and I used to say it was like a kid with ADHD that like just needed an outlet for like um because I have like restless leg and I was like I was like oh it's the same thing it's not (laughs) she doesn't do it when she's hanging out and she's not under any duress (laughs) it's only when I'm pissing her off and uh asking too much of her and I had a a clinician when she was doing all of that say like, well, maybe she's cycling and uh, she has cysts on her ovaries, which is a totally legitimate possibility. But there's also the potential explanation that she is not enjoying what I'm asking her to do or she's confused or she's afraid or she's in pain. Uh, And it doesn't have to be because she's a mare. (laughs) Like, you know. Yeah. It's quite sad. I don't know. There's so many many things to talk about and just – how behind the horse world is oh, compared to other industries. It's I know. Just <laughs> I've been sitting terrible. here thinking we're talking about feminism. <laughs> Supposed to be yeah. talking about stalls. 
Um, but I think we can probably wrap it up because I think we're yeah. approaching anchors. Uh, That's great. And then, yeah, the next podcast will be about young horses, which we talked about a bit here because we got off track. And can't but help it. <laughs> we're going to go more in detail with that because that's a lot to unpack as well. Same yeah. thing. So we'll also have to probably struggle to keep it. I really didn't think we could talk for two hours about this, but here yeah, we are. Honestly, I was like, oh, yeah, like an hour. Yeah. Yeah, totally. it, nope. But, like, this, like, yeah, like, honestly, I could ram. I ramble enough on my own, so if I talk to someone else that's just down to do oh, that, then it, 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 same, it escalates. Same, I so. have the people in my life try not to call me unless they have time, because I know it'll go on forever, because <laughs> I will talk, and that's why I have a podcast, where I can, I have multiple hour and a half long, like, an hour and a half and an hour have become kind of my norm, and 40 minutes is easy. Like I can shout into the void for 40 minutes and not have a problem. And I, uh, like, I'm sure you uh, might oh, relate yeah, with sure. the, the ADHD where you start getting a little bit of brain fatigue and you're like, I've stopped listening to half of the things you're saying. Because <laughs> yeah. I can't pay attention I'll anymore. Forget what I'm, I'll, I'll literally forget what I'm talking about while I'm saying it. Oh, I'll just yep. have to pretend that I know what I'm talking that about. That happened to me on this episode, and I normally have yeah. to pause and go back. And uh, I had to do that when I was filming the Dominance Theory thing, because I tangented so hard, I forgot what point I was trying to make with my tangent. Um, but uh, anyway, I guess in closing... Um, I think my, one of my closing questions that was going to be a nice wrap up, but I think we just kind of covered everything. It's hard yeah. to talk about this stuff linearly was, uh, making things, uh, better for stalls, you know, health environment. Uh, if you have lack of ownership, like how do you think you could make the stalls better? I mean, I don't think, I, do you have anything else to say outside of like enrichment? I or... think we covered it like at, at its core boarding horns just need to start building the barns better yeah. and changing how they traditionally build them. Yeah, I completely agree. And stop thinking it's better for the horses because science does not support it. And our industry, for some reason, is so bad about that. We are the most arrogant. It's I guess it's the Dunning-Kruger effect. It's because the elitism. It's, it's too many rich, privileged, generally white people all together. And that, like, I mean, and I mean, I'm generally white and I'm rather well off and um, have lived that way my whole life. And, you know, having to seek out information is difficult. I won't lie. It It requires a lot of commitment and effort and it is hard and it's much easier just to say, nope, I'm right and stick your nose up in the air and say everybody else is wrong. And, um, but I really think that like, I mean, the best thing to do is just educate yourselves. And, um, I was going to say something. (laughs) I hate this. (laughs) So like out of energy. Um, this is why I also wanted to uh, record the episode on another day because I knew this would happen. Oh, yeah, we couldn't do two in a row. Definitely not. No, the second episode would be useless. Um, But I don't know. I just think that we should really take steps to... Oh, I was going to say something about the Dunning-Kruger effect. See, I just did that thing where you just keep talking (laughs) and you know what you're talking about. Um, But the Dunning-Kruger effect, I think, is so prevalent in the horse world, which is that um, the the less you know, the more you think you know. And um, there's this arrogance about, like, if you don't know anything, you think that you're so right about stalls are better and this equipment is better and using gadgets is better and surgeries or the quick fix solutions are all better because it's self-serving and i think that's what happens with the stalls too it makes us oh, feel yeah. better it makes the more us feel you like know the more. more you start to question your surroundings and it's not just applicable to the horse mm-hmm. world it's applicable to everything which is the imposter <laughs> effect the yeah. counterpart to dunning kruger <laughs> yeah right. i have to flex Hardcore. my i have to use my undergrad psych degree for something um yeah. <laughs> it's just things like that but 
if we start to change, like the thing is, if our generation starts to make significant change in the horses that are growing up to be like future athletes, their dispositions are all going to start to become like, there's not going to be the horses that can't handle being outside or that are just crazy. People just start to change how they do things. Yeah. And beyond that, we're already seeing a significant increase in the horse's lifespan. And I think we would also see a big increase in, uh, use longevity like how long you can ride them if we would oh for sure change the way we care and manage them and train them but we're not talking about training on this episode we're trying very yeah. hard to pull next episode training. speaking of caring training them up the levels and yeah. long careers that's gonna be the next topic yeah but that'll be on yeah, that, this podcast. has been a good podcast and yeah good yeah, there's so many interesting things, so it's easy to go off track. But yeah, let's wrap it up before we go off track again. Yeah, and we're <laughs> fastly approaching, or fastly? Good word. Um, quickly approaching two hours. Um, yeah. So I think um, just anything you'd like to plug, where people can find you, what your podcast is, et cetera, et cetera. My podcast is called Making Milestones, and you can get it on Anchor and eight other platforms that I don't remember what all of them are. Pretty but... much the same mine are on, probably, I would assume. Wherever yeah, you're listening to mine, you can find I also find have YouTube, which is just my name, Shelby Dennis, and then my Instagram, which is SDEQ. What about U-U-S. brand consistency, Shelby? None of that is the same. How dare you? Yes, I know. I, I have no... <laughs> I couldn't decide what to call my podcast, so I was just like... Uh, you're talking to the indecisive queen. Uh, I've changed it three times. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm going on my third. It was Equine Theory, and now currently it's Jet Real... But when this goes up, it'll have a new name. And I I just, yesterday, I filmed the episode announcing that I'm going to change the name. But then I chickened out at saying it at the beginning. So I just, like, kept <laughs> explaining all of why I had changed it. And then at the end of it, I was, like, I had, like, talked myself out of the name that I had picked. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so I'm you like, picked a different one? No, so I still haven't announced it. And I said in the episode, this is probably going to be meta for the people listening to this one, but um, <laughs> I just decided, I was like, okay, I'll announce it in the next episode. So I have until Tuesday <laughs> to kind of nice. pick a new, or I guess next Tuesday to pick a new name. And then, um, so this intro to this episode will probably have the new name. And then, oh, cool. I can't wait to hear. Yeah. And then it'll end with me being like, I still don't know what the, the podcast <laughs> name is. But What's the name? Yeah. It's yeah, hard to decide. Is it again? Just the next episode. My new name. <laughs> yep. But anyway. Oh, um, yeah. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of good things to talk about. I think it would also be cool to do one with all of us and then Marsh, who's all, that's all to venture. Oh, uh, I know. She, she was like, I'm so excited to hear about um, the guests. And I was like, well, you just signed yourself up. So <laughs> no, no, she, she's great. That I would know. be awesome. Yeah, I would love to have her on. Um, but yeah, I think... This has been awesome. I'm sure I'll have you on again at some point in the future. Yeah, Yeah, and I'm looking forward to doing our one for my channel, too. Yeah, me too. And I definitely want my listeners to listen to all of that. But I'll go ahead and hang up with you and then finish up here. And I guess you and I will talk on Sunday (laughs) for your episode. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, talk to you later. Bye. Bye. All righty, guys. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I did not expect it to go in all of the directions that it did. That was absolutely insane. <laughs> but I I think we hit on a lot of topics. And, um, you know, I tend to agree with Shelby on most things. And it's, it's interesting because we talked at the beginning, um, I think before we got on the call, that um, we've publicly <laughs> and privately argued on a bunch of uh, training and welfare. Um, you know, we've differed on a lot of uh, 
stances on uh, concepts. Fuck, I can't spit it out. But um, anyway, uh, I think we've both kind of grown in education that we're, um, even though we disagreed so wholeheartedly at the beginning, we've both moved in the same direction because we've been studying separately and have come to the same conclusions because of the science that's out there. So even people that were starkly different at the beginning are coming together because of education. And I think that's its power. And that's why podcast episodes like this are so important to me, because it's, we can all form a more cohesive, you know, industry and society if in the equestrian community, if we um, prioritize education rather than like, as me and Shelby were talking about, just relying on boarding barns and instructors and taking it upon ourselves to further our education. And if you're listening to this podcast, I probably don't need to tell you that I'm preaching to the choir. But if not, um, I do have a website, jetequiththeory.com, where I have endless resources um, and blogs and all that good stuff on how to um, do positive reinforcement and all that good stuff. And, um, I have some things I want to write about, uh, dominant theory and some, uh, blogs coming and they might be up by the time I post this, who knows? Um, I'm recording this on August 14th, uh, 2020. So who knows, uh, when it'll go up, but, um, and also I don't know what the, the name of the podcast is right now. So I can't, uh, say to like follow it on socials, but whatever I said at the beginning of this episode, follow that on Instagram. Cause that'll probably be the username. Um, and Facebook, and then uh, you can check me out at Jet Equitheory on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Um, that one will probably not change anytime soon. But uh, yeah, I hope that you guys really enjoyed this episode. I had a great time talking to Shelby, and it's just it's so funny because we just disagreed so heavily back in the day, and it was funny because we did a video together uh, on YouTube. Uh, it was kind of like a separate collab like she did part one and i did part two or something like that and uh we were like uh, we were acquaintances friends back then and then it just really hit a rift and we argued a lot and now we're back on the same page and i think it's really cool um that shelby you know she's a person that's like not gonna hold grudges and i'm pretty much the same way and i think people like that are hard to come by and people that are willing to admit that um you know they've been wrong and we talked about it you know privately before the podcast that um we're just both like yeah i just didn't know back then and now we do and um that's okay and don't hold any resentment uh people are allowed to grow and change and i think that that is going to be one of the most powerful takeaways uh in the future you know, we're talking about how we want to see these changes happen. And the most important thing, I think, is to not shame people into, um, you know, changing or shame them for not changing because then you're just going to drive them further into defensiveness and uh, they're going to want to stay there because if they admit they're wrong, then there's a bunch of shame and negative emotions that come with it. So I think it's best to, um, you know, you can help people along and stand up for what you believe in. But at the same time, if people are willing to change, be open to that and accept that and um, welcome them and don't be like, oh, well, you were an idiot before like that. It's not helpful. And it makes people want to leave your side again. Uh, so not that this is all manipulation, but I'm just saying like be a decent human and allow people to grow and change. You are not the same person you were five years ago. I hope not. Um, and so there's no 
there's no sense in being rough on people for um, changing their opinions. I do it all the time. And then I talk about it and I have to be like, okay, well, actually, I don't believe that anymore. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed this episode and I hope you guys did too. And I have a lot more exciting guests planned for this podcast. And this was my my first interview. And, oh, my God, my heart was beating so fast at the beginning. Not because I'm, like, scared of Shelby or thought she was going to say anything mean. I was just so nervous. I've never had to do it before. It's a lot. It was a different pressure than I'm used to. But um, I'm so used to my quiet comfort of my house alone. <laughs> um, but yeah, so thank you guys for listening. Be sure to check us out on the socials. Check out my website and subscribe to this podcast so you can uh, listen, keep listening, stay up to date. Don't miss an episode. I post every single Tuesday and uh, be sure to leave a review if you would like so we can promote the podcast a little bit. I've been playing with a, um, it's it's like a tripod phone connector, but it allows you to turn it sideways. And I have been playing with it for the duration of the podcast. <laughs> I need something to do with my hands. Um, and I kept dropping it, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, I'm going to end it because this has been way too long already and your ears are probably tired. Um, so thank you guys for listening and I will catch you guys next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs>